0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is Sunday, January 28th, 2024, which is 16 years and about a week and a half after the disappearance of Tommy Booth, which you'll be able to learn about on our uh, Friday video this week. So just giving you a little teaser there to let you know. But today, despite the fact that on Friday we did a video about a missing National Park Ranger, which is something we've talked about just over and over and over and over again, we had the opportunity to sit down with Benjamin Olshin here, who is a a professor, a world traveler, a master mason—just a whole bunch of different cool stuff. And we wanted to talk today about si- uh, simulation theory. We had you on a little bit ago, uh, about about almost a year ago at this point, I think. And we talked about lost civilizations, Atlantis, all of those concepts. So uh, we got back in touch, and I was like, "All right, let's what's something else we can talk about?" Because you were actually one of you—you uh, you were a fan favorite guest on the show. Um, so I was I was very excited to have you back. But do you want to give everybody an idea of, of who you are? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sure,
1: absolutely. In fact, I was at a talk the other day and it was by a pretty famous uh, professor locally. And the woman who introduced him said, and now for a man who needs no introduction, whereas I need an extensive introduction because my (laughs) career is so strange. So I'm actually from the Philadelphia area and I like to tell people I'm just a regular Philadelphia guy. Uh, But as the host said, I ended up, through a series of circumstances, living all over the world. Um, Mainly, I wanted to work and do research overseas. So I lived in England, I lived in Portugal, I lived in Brazil, I lived in Japan, I lived in Taiwan. Uh, I did my graduate work in Canada. And since then, I've also been many places, again, Indonesia, Turkey, West Africa. And it's because I'm interested in a big variety of topics. So also for the audience, you should know, that I I try to view myself as not the typical academic. I was a college professor for many years. I'm semi-retired now, Uh, but I'm atypical in the sense that I like all kinds of stuff. I'm interested in straight history. I'm interested in physics and philosophy, and I'll be talking about that tonight. Because I lived in Asia for a long time, I got really interested in Taoism and Buddhism, and I've actually taught courses in that. So I I kind of do what I like and research what I like and talk about what I like. And now sort of later in life, um, because I met our host not that long ago, I guess about a year ago, I got really interested in the sort of venue of podcasts and things like this, sort of speaking to audiences outside academia, because one of the things I found many years ago is that there are lots and lots of people interested in topics ranging from the interesting to the weird who are outside academic circles. And that's great because I think mm-hmm. knowledge is something that should be for the people. And I know that's part of a, a, the, the focus of this show, kind of the yeah. goal of this show.
0: Take, so, take the academic and, and put it right in front of the average person instead of keeping it locked away in an ivory tower.
1: <laughs> right, and that, that's an issue that's come up repeatedly in the show and not to get off topic, but you know, one of the reasons that this show talked about Graham Hancock is he kind of represents people trying to do that. Now he's a journalist by profession, and I respect that. But on the other hand, I think the way he does it and the message that he's sending out is not the right one. There's sort of like, as we say in Taoism, there's a middle path or in Buddhism, there's a middle path uh, where we can talk about things in a popular way, in an exciting way, but while still retaining some kind of integrity. And today the topic is, I guess, This just came up through a random discussion today. The topic is going to be about virtual realities and simulation. But also, I hope towards the end of the program, by extension, this idea of living in a dream world and how we might figure out what is the nature of this dream or illusion, if it is one. So we're going to go, I hope, Mm -hmm. from sort of the scientific, physics, philosophy to the mystical and religious We'll see how they're all connected because they're all connected. Um, as Aiden mentioned, I did write a book on this. This is not exactly a book promo, but I think <laughs> you're going to post up the title. Yeah, of the book. it's
0: it is right in the uh, right in the description right now. If anyone wants to check it out, do you want to give a title and a quick summary?
1: Yeah, so uh, the book is entitled "Deciphering Reality." Uh, design simulations and test and 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 the way I guess let me give a little bit bit background so I I urge you to look at this book it's not an academic book it talks about everything from Taoism to physics to art and I'll talk a little bit about art Um, and I got interested in this I'm sort of embarrassed to say but I got interested in it the way a lot of people did which was by seeing the matrix (laughs) and I found when I was teaching I was teaching a college class uh Friday and I was amazed. Like, I'm so old now that a lot of the students now have not seen The Matrix. That movie is is old. But you got to see the movie. That That's a must. Right. It does hurt. It shows Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the movie's 1999, right? Yeah. And um, it's a great movie. And it was, you know, it was seminal, really brought this issue mm-hmm. to the fore. And the, the brothers, who are now sisters, who made the movie, um, they had read a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Plato, talked about Plato's cave, all that stuff. So I watched that. And then the other one that people are more familiar with now is Inception. Right. Yeah. The multiple layers of reality. And students have told me there's like horror movies, too, now that have this premise too of living in an illusion. So that's what got me interested in it. And is sort of typical with me. And again, this is a great sort of thing for listeners to contemplate. I've always had this thing where I'll, like, find a topic like simulated realities, illusion, and then I'll read everything I can find. I think Aiden is like this, too. He's sort of obsessive with this stuff. And then I'll find that I'm dissatisfied with this stuff. And I'll say, damn, you know, I want to write my own book. And so I did. I really wrote the book for myself. Um, and it was funny, too. So I guess I can tell this story. This is cool. So my daughter was very little at the time, and she had a stuffed toy like this. Mm-hmm. Um and I used to make it talk, you know, like you do with kids. And it's like, hi, hi, Astrid. And then one day she asked me, she's sitting on the sofa, she goes, is he real? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, are you just moving his arms or does he do that by himself? Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-oh, like, what do you tell a child? This? <laughs> so that really pushed me to sort of write my own book. Because when you write a book, you know, it's not about your own pretentiousness. In an ideal world, it's about you having a chance to struggle with some difficult Mm -hmm. material. Like you guys do it through the show, Aiden, Aiden, right? You do it through the show. It's like we're gonna take the boy in the box. I can't get that out of my head. (laughs) It's like, and we're gonna like look at it this way and look at it this way and think about this and think about this and stuff like that. And um, that's what I do, you know, through writing and now through this. So that's how I ended up writing the book. Was I felt driven by this question personally. Like what is this reality we're living in? Um, and there's another backstory too, which I can tell, but you guys I don't want sure. to monopolize this. So yeah. No, of course. That's I mean
0: I think probably probably the place I'd want to start things off is you know, how how do you define uh, existence?
1: Okay, fair enough. So existence, I, I said this to somebody the other day and it scared the hell of them. Existence should scare you, okay? Because existence is this. You, you're born into the world, mm-hmm. and I don't think either of you have seen a baby being born. but Not it's yet. Really, sleeping, Not yet.
2: Right? <laughs> Not quite yet.
1: Not quite yet. So the baby comes out, and one of the scariest things is, particularly like my child was born at, I think, like 2 in the morning, so it's completely dark outside. And you take them home, and all of a sudden you're holding them, and light is coming through the window, and you turn them to the light, and you realize, like, oh, my God. You realize, oh my God, this is their first experience seeing the sun. So it's this whole Plato's cave thing, which I'll, I'll talk about. So existence is this two-phase process. Suddenly you come into being, right? Mm-hmm. There you are. I mean, it's so weird. I'll tell you, you live in a house, you have a spare room, and suddenly there's there's a soul in that room mm-hmm. that needs diapers and milk and stuff. You no, know, people don't usually talk about this, way, but you should. But the second thing, which you guys will be familiar with, is that you're eating you're going to the bathroom you're doing all that stuff right you're you're this tiny infant or toddler and then one day when you're about two and a half maybe three years old for aiden it was probably one year old you suddenly look at your hands look at yourself look at the mirror and you go oh my god i exist there's Mm -hmm. a me and there's a you subject object dichotomy and that's existence so existence is this awareness of self other Mm -hmm. and then all the rest of the life is all the existential tension in that thing like why am i here why at this time what is this around me what is this external world what is this body etc right so you know this has been written about by philosophers and other people for thousands of years but that's how i define existence it's that kind of presence that's very sudden inexplicable Mm -hmm. And and it's immersive, you know. That's an important thing for this discussion. It's immersive. You are in that thing, so you have no kind of objective, detached standpoint to do any real analysis. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like feeling around like this. And that that's one of the things that I really get into in the book, and I'm really puzzled by because this is like a problem on top. Of, not only you have to solve a puzzle, but you're inside the puzzle. It's like those escape rooms that people are really into. Yeah. This is the ultimate escape
2: room. Mm-hmm. Here you are. So yeah, would there? you essentially say that, you know, by your definition, it seems you're kind of saying that consciousness and existence are kind of interchangeable terms in that way?
1: Yeah. And the reason, you know, in consciousness, you guys could have a whole other program on mm-hmm. consciousness. <laughs> For the sake of this, consciousness is important because the the, the consciousness functions as this awareness of of self and other if Mm -hmm. you weren't conscious you'd have no problem and essentially when you're you're a tiny infant you're not conscious in that same way you know this gets into the taoist aspect for animals most animals we think are not conscious in that way they are aware of hunger they go eat they're aware of danger they fly away Mm -hmm. right things like that but our consciousness makes us uh, aware of this sort of existential crisis it causes this angst it's this realization so, for the sake of this argument, consciousness for now we can stick with it just as that.
0: Yeah, I think I, I like that. That is a j- just series of. I like the way you segmented that. Is I think how yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. respond. Um, Essentially, one is like awareness of like
2: ex- like your surroundings, mm-hmm. and then the other is awareness of your existence yeah. as a whole, like right. being alive. Yeah, so it's, yeah,
1: being alive. Yeah, and I think that's... therefore I am. Yeah, yeah. I think therefore I am, and and then the process. So, you know, Descartes says I think therefore I am, and then the whole process is then, I think what I am, how I am, why mm-hmm. I am, and it just concatenates. You know, and trust me, the older you get, you know, the more you feel this sort of tension. And, and so, let me interject just at this point for for clarification sure. as, as we get into this topic more deeply. You know we got to talk about Plato's allegory the cave, and I mm-hmm. don't know if you've done this in other program, but just for people that don't. I haven't heard of this. And this was really the basis of the Matrix movie. So Plato, around 2,400 years ago, it's really remarkable, uh, wrote up this allegory. And he uses it for politics. And I don't want to sound too much like a a professor and stuff like that, but everyone should know this. So Plato describes like this hypothetical world where people are chained in a cave, looking at the cave wall with the shadows on it, right, like a TV screen. And he makes this point that their whole existence has been like this, only seeing shadows. And why is that important? Well, because it's like it's our existence, right? You're born into this one world. This is what you perceive. It's all the senses. And the prisoners in the cave are are totally cool with this, because for them, reality is what is consistent. And every day they see the shadows, every day they hear the, the noises, you know, as the shadows mm-hmm. move and interact, horses and figures, et cetera. And then Plato describes this whole process where a prisoner then is freed, stands up, the body hurts. Remember in the Matrix, Neo's body like really hurts when he's finally freed from the pod. And the prisoner turns around and suddenly sees that all the images that he saw were actually just shadows of objects being held. And then he sees moreover that people were manipulating those objects. So the prisoner sees that his reality was not only fake, it was mediated, controlled by somebody else. And then even that is not the reality because then he's led out of the cave where he sees the sun, our sun. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God, I, the, the light, the light, right? And looking at a three-dimensional object, like a physical object is really, really hard for him because it's completely inconsistent with his formerly totally consistent reality. And the cave allegory kind of goes on from there uh, in a couple ways. First of all, the fact that when this freed prisoner is sent back to free the others they don't want to leave right because their reality is comfortable it's what they know etc so there's a whole allegory behind that but then more importantly is once you are out in the sun like you guys are we're in this world plato's whole point is hint hint you're still in a cave there's a whole nother layer to go up in it's level upon level upon level upon level and that's something you know we'll return to when we talk about the Gnostics because it's not only this idea that we're in an illusion digital simulates something it's that it's an illusion within an illusion within an illusion like in um what's the other movie uh we were talking Inception? About what's a, Inception where it's a dream within a dream within a dream and so this idea is, you know, it's a very deep idea, a very old idea, and it kind of lays this foundation for what we're going to talk about. But also, you know, you asked about existence and consciousness. This is the nature of, of, of humans in that we're conscious enough to be aware of an existence, and at the same time, say, well, there must be something beyond this existence. It's what do they call that? Like the itch that cannot be scratched, mm-hmm. right? It's this terrifying. And you read about this in Taoism, in Buddhism, you know, even in, in Gnostic Christianity. So that's a kind of good groundwork to know, like where are we at, and what are our tools. Well, our tools is just, yeah, consciousness, the mind, and then we have to sort of go from there. And how do we go from there? We'll mm-hmm. talk about that.
0: So it seems to it seems that you you tie in your your definition and your understanding of existence with perception of reality. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: And, and- yeah, what is our perception of reality? Well, the senses, right? Mm-hmm. But the senses are really limited because, you know, in Plato's cave, the senses can be placated with shadows and images. You know, I can be told, yes, this is lemonade. And what did you guys You guys ate burritos. Like, mm-hmm. yes, that's a burrito. Oh, and your stomach feels full now, mm-hmm. et cetera. So going back to Plato, you mentioned Descartes, you know, even pre technology pretty sophisticated technology, yeah. people were very familiar with this idea that all of this could be faked, right? Could be, you know, created as an illusion, the illusion of feeling full, the illusion of seeing something in front of you, uh, the illusion of, of touching something, mm-hmm. et cetera. And that's very important, this kind of realization that the sense, or how does Plato put it, the senses are unreliable.
0: Yeah, They're it's uh... a... I remember in college I took a class on medieval philosophy and we read a lot of Aquinas and Ibn Sina and that yeah. was that was one of those recurring themes was like what what is the function and form of the soul which I think was right. kind of their their way of asking the same sort of question like what what makes us us rather right. than just you know animals or meat sacks walking around I mean obviously they didn't understand the concept of electrical activity in the brain but they were trying to figure out why is it that we are what what makes us us
1: well um, and the soul has a very special role in this because so this is the one of the questions we're wrestling with right so how the hell do we get out of this simulation how how do we realize that mm-hmm. this is not right so the soul for plato is the key because something in your soul particularly people like you guys right or people listen to show their soul is kind of itching, right? Mm -hmm. Because Plato's idea is that the soul is the one entity that knows that the sensory world is not where it's at, Mm -hmm. that this world is an illusion. If you didn't have a soul, like you say, you're just like a a bunch of meat, a machine functioning, it wouldn't matter. But for Plato, it's the soul that kind of makes us ask this question. Mm -hmm. And for him, it's the soul that eventually makes us sort of look down and say wait what are these chains what is mm-hmm. this why am i here and, and that's sort of what triggers this investigation to go beyond the simulation beyond the illusion etc right. so the soul you you find that in plato you find that in buddhism you find a version of that in Taoism. because you need something right to make you uh, feel the term obviously is feel that dissonance right that something is not quite right about this it is some dreamlike quality that it's is not consistent in fact in so when we
0: end. say when we say simulation uh you know a lot of people when they say simulation theory they, they're kind of looking at the idea that this is all a, a computer simulation in some higher realm of existence that there is right. some teenager sitting at his computer at, playing us like the sims um yeah. is that is that where you're coming at it from Or is it more of a metaphysical sort of like, you know, how we perceive reality is not necessarily all of the layers?
1: So it's all of the above. So when I started doing this, um, I started it uh, looking from a physics viewpoint. So what's interesting is there had been all this philosophical stuff, like you say, in the Middle Ages and stuff with Descartes and before that Plato. So there's a a very famous uh, philosopher named Hilary Putnam. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. Talk about Philly. He went to Central High School. For those of you who are from Philly, I didn't realize this. Yeah. And so in the 1980s, again, this is very early on in terms of computers. In the 1980s, Hillary Putnam writes this famous thing called Brain in a Vat." You Mm -hmm. can look it up. And he sets up this scenario where um, late at night, Aiden Mattis is asleep. An evil scientist comes in, removes your brain, Puts it in a vat with liquids so it survives, but plugs wires into it that feed it visual input, uh, tactile input, olfactory input, mm-hmm. etc. So when Aiden wakes up, he looks out his window, he goes downstairs, he eats breakfast, he continues his existence, except that it's entirely simulated. Mm-hmm. So Putnam, this philosopher, he says, How could Aiden? ever know that this transition had happened? How could he prove that he was in a simulated reality rather than that direct physical interactive reality he had? So Putnam is the one who in a certain regard first introduces this idea into sort of computation even though he's doing it as a a philosopher. But then more to your point, oddly enough, dating back even earlier to the 1940s, there was a, a German named Konrad Zuse, who hypothesized that you could have a digital reality. This is like really early in the 1940s, where again, everything that we consider sort of tangible and, and, and tactile and visual inputs could all be a simulation. And then certainly you guys, your generation in particular, Starting with video games and increasingly sophisticated video games or virtual reality, it came to be understood that the ability to do this is is, is quite real, right? It's quite um, possible. Do you understand what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. as the technology became more sophisticated, people said, "Okay, I like the philosophical stuff, but now we know that somebody could actually, like you said, some kid could construct all this." Mm-hmm. And then you know that, and that's a, a route that we should talk about. So yeah, there's absolutely that very hard physical, digital component to this.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, a, a simulation.
0: Right. So the you know I, I guess an important question to ask then is if if we are pawns in somebody else's game, why 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 create us? Why put us here? Um, which is a so, question that religion has been trying to answer for thousands and thousands of years.
1: And that's why it's so odd. So we're going to talk about a digital thing. And then, yeah, we'll talk about the Gnostics. Mm -hmm. So it astonishes me how much the scientific and the technological really parallel the religious question, because they're all sort of these attempts to grasp for. How did you put it like motive, meaning, you know, all this stuff. So why would somebody do this? So there's a a guy, again, which everybody should read, Nick Bostrom, B-O-S-T-R-O-M, Nick Bostrom. I think he's British. He's a philosopher and he's important for a couple of reasons. So he wrote uh, not that long ago, this idea that this simulation that we're living in right now was probably created in the distant future. And so that the real year out there is whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. 10,000 AD. um, And that this was created again to your question for what motivation? Well, think about how cool it would be to create a historical simulation on on your computer, like a Sims game. So let's say you create one where it's the ancient Romans against the barbarians and you populate it with little Mm -hmm. characters and you set them at each other. That would be great, right? It'd be so fun and you give them the illusion of choice, et cetera. So what Nick Bostrom does, he looks at it purely from statistics. He says, if we're so good at technology, chances are, Somebody will have developed this, Mm -hmm. will have done it because they're motivated just like us. They want to have fun. They want to create interesting historical simulations. So he argues chances are it's already been done and we're living in it. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I mentioned before the show of all people to be interested in this stuff is Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So the story is that he was at a board meeting. I think it was with Bloomberg, though, that Bloomberg was in the room. And he just, he gets up and says, I think this world is a simulation. I read this Nick Bostrom thing. And actually just as an aside, my publisher in the Netherlands <laughs> emails me says, we got to send a copy of the book to Elon Musk. And I was mm-hmm. like, definitely. they are like, please, and, please do. <laughs> please, never heard from him. We sent the book, it was mailed right, But yeah, so this is a very intriguing idea for people like him because it's this very technologically sophisticated idea and again, you guys would know, like, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. Well, for fun. There's another great movie called 13th Floor. And it's the same idea as simulation. And there, that frankly, that the evil scientist creates the simulation so he can sort of uh, download his consciousness in, right? Mm-hmm. He lies and fool around, go to bars, meet girls. It's purely hedonist. So there are any number of reasons why someone would create a simulation like Mm -hmm. this technologically the religious ones we'll talk about
0: subsequently but yeah it makes perfect sense people are people right it's a little unsettling to think about though like totally unsettling (laughs) i mean because on the one hand it's like if if you think about it and obviously in my opinion come coming from you know a religious background i i find the idea of just being a a digital character in somebody else's complex video game you know rather unfulfilling as compared to there being yeah. some sort of like like with Christianity, the idea that we were created as companions um, yeah. Like, yeah. um i I would like to believe that there is a reason I exist beyond some kid wanted to play you know hmm what what happens if we go back to nineteen ninety five and instead of having I don't know you know who's who's a good option to who's somebody to pick here instead of having Jeb Bush win the twenty sixteen primary let's have donald trump do it and see what happens like i, I don't i don't like that idea well but i understand where where the possibility fits in and, and how the how the concept works
2: well but personally being a little bit more removed from the religious aspect of it just based on my upbringing it's interesting for, for me to just kind of explore all the possible options because like the idea that we are essentially living because like as you were describing that i was thinking of it less as like an individual simulation but more in like you know the formation of what we would call the physical mm-hmm. Earth is essentially yep. a playground for which maybe instead of one teenager and a kid, in a room, maybe we are existing on the plane of a giant, you know, multiplayer game. In terrifying. Which, in which the gods are just different players, and they have created different factions to try and win. And it seems like currently, you know, <clears throat> whoever's uh, username is Yahweh is winning. <laughs> By just, by just numbers yeah. uh but just the idea that you know they're all like at a, at a big land party and the guy whose username is zeus is like guys just let me respawn characters please yeah. <laughs> i
0: Wait, hate well, I the mean, idea of there being just some sort of giant like land tournament and and you know gamer tag yahweh is like you know how i can really win this i'm gonna split my religion into three religions exactly. and have and have them all fight each other in different directions yeah. like
1: you know? <laughs> But see, that's the thing. I mean, what you've just described is sort of the, the crisis of humans. Uh, yeah, like we should talk about religion then. It's, you know, this is part of it that you, you are faced with this existence where you think that maybe there are multiple gods and they're totally random, like in the Greco-Roman, mm-hmm. you know, pagan pantheon, where the gods are just like human gamers, really, right, with different whims. Yeah, there's no no question about that. that that's sort of uh, what you wake up thinking and it's uncomfortable right mm-hmm. all right so you guys probably know this but but let's think about it's in i always tell people like you should realize like the weirdest idea you can imagine somebody's come up with it and investigated it, and that's good so what really got me hooked in this and I, I guess only started reading this not that long ago either was about the gnostics mm mm-hmm. So, you know, and Gnosis means knowledge. So the Gnostics are like seekers of knowledge. What does that mean? And so you mentioned like the big three religions. Well, let's say there are many religions, but let's say particularly Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. What a lot of people don't know is all three of those religions have a heretical subset of Gnostics, right? And so the Gnostic members are people who within those religions say, Oh, yes, God is all loving and all great, and we should follow God, and this is the earth He created, or whatever. But the Gnostics say, okay, yeah, that may be, but just like you guys are saying, why are things so messed up? And like, why is there so much conflict? And why do we die? And why do good people suffer? Right? You're with me, et cetera, right? So the Mm -hmm. Gnostics developed a couple weird ideas. One was that, in some versions, this world. is not the world created by God. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's created by a demigod, a demiurge, it's yeah. called a lesser god, right? You know this. And so there's a higher God outside there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're separated from them. And this yeah, separation which created is the it.
0: demiurge and the demiurge that created, then the created demi-urge.
1: us. Exactly. So and the demiurge
0: are, isn't like a it, it's not the sentient God we that that we think about. It's more of a just general universal will.
1: Right. It's like a universal. Yeah, it's because ergos in ancient Greek means just a will. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect word for it, right. So just so is will that like that, like, yeah. under
2: the logos kind of thing or is that. No. So so
1: logos is the much higher logos is like the reason. So that's the really mm-hmm. perfect God operates towards logos. We're not living in a world anything like that that's why things make no friggin sense whatsoever, because we are two steps removed, at least from the logos. Right. The divine, the will. And uh, uh, that's. And so people like you, clever people, realized, like, man, something is messed up because this does not seem like a God created world. And it's because it's not. It's created by this this will, right, this urge. And so it's very strange. But then the Gnostics who do know about the logos, the Gnostics say, well, wait a minute, we do have knowledge. Right here we are, the three of us talking. Mm-hmm. we got audience members who have ideas together we can figure this out and we can reason our way out Mm -hmm. or find some glimpses of divine knowledge that have like percolated down into this plane and decode our way out into the higher realm, which is weirdly analogous with what's happening in certain realms of philosophy of physics, which is that the properties of uh, particles Uh, Certain physical laws like gravitation, electromagnetism, and quantum mechanics are these little clues of the code in which all this is written. And if we Mm -hmm. just cognitively, like intellectually, solve that code, then we can, that's why I call the book Deciphering Reality, we can decipher this. And it's weird because the Kabbalah, that's all that's about. It's about looking at God, like you talked about, Mm -hmm. uh, other aid, and you talked about like the physical earth. So the whole Kabbalistic project is to look at physical creation and find what's called the the macrocosm and microcosm
3: mm-hmm.
1: You know, human beings, the hands, the structure, the cells, the Fibonacci series and flowers. All those are like clues, clues, mm-hmm. clues that we can use as our project to decode. And this, by the way, is the Freemasonic mm-hmm. project as well. Right. For another episode. Um, this idea that we're gonna sort of think our way out of the box, mm-hmm. and and it's so weird and messed up in so many ways. But yeah, that's a big part of this. Exactly yeah. this because that disgruntlement, you know, that Aiden Mattis feels with the world, people have felt for thousands of years, and you should feel it. if you don't feel it, there's something wrong mm-hmm.
2: with you. Well, I think <laughs> it, that's also interesting to me because like the idea that you know whether or not, if from a religious perspective or even an atheistic perspective, we all to some level, feel this need for purpose in our lives. And, you know, it's clear that, you know, for one reason or another, whether you're coming from the atheistic perspective of, oh, this was, you know, an evolutionary byproduct that allowed us to formulate societies that would allow us to better succeed over other, you know, species because we could better organize ourselves by giving, you know, each other and ourselves tasks for us to hyper-focus on and things like that. Or it's from a religious perspective uh you could probably speak better to the origins of that and the you know the details of that from a religious perspective but i think it's interesting that if we're looking at it from a simulation perspective Mm -hmm. you know where where does that purpose originate from where does that lead us to and then you know kind of the idea of like is that ending at all correlated to us being able to essentially transcend from the simulation Mm -hmm. or is that even a possibility
0: There's a couple yeah. things I wanted to just address really quick because I know that what you just said is gonna get called out in the comments. The that, and that's the Freemasonic <laughs> idea too. That that Freemasonry as a, a concept is is seeking to understand the structure of a created universe. Um yeah. but it's not necessarily like you, not all Freemasons are into the Kabbalah, not all like there's there's different tiers and levels and oh, interest yeah. groups, so I just want to make sure that nobody looks at it and goes, see, see, they're Satanists. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but it's not, and in fact, well, I was going to say the opposite, that this is, in fact, here's a, a nice way to lay this out very clear. I, I think I can safely say that most of the major religions of the world are mm-hmm. interested in the project that other Aiden just talked yeah. about, right? that it's this project to find uh, the true meaning of our existence, to look at the transcendent, you know, what's beyond this. And what's interesting is that most of them will, will say that the way to do that is through this process of faith. So you believe that there is an ultimate God who's benevolent and that the universe, therefore, is benevolent, and that the way to transcendent knowledge is through this kind of revelation, revelatory process. So if you believe, it will be revealed. You guys are with me on this, right? Yeah. Freemasonry, you know, uh, is really just, uh, I mean, it's its a, a philosophy that still is connected to religion. You cannot be a Freemason and an atheist. Freemasonry, the only additional element, which is not weird, mysterious, or conspiratorial at all, is because it was formulated in the Enlightenment, believes Uh, that reason plays a big Mm -hmm. part of this, that that God is reasonable. It works according to the logos, right, the divine pattern. And so distinguished men talking together in a brotherhood can come to understand this. But that's no different from Christian theologians Mm -hmm. working their way through or Jewish rabbis interpreting the law. I want to point out that one of the interesting things is that Buddhism also kind of believes in many respects in certain forms of Buddhism that the everyday world we live in, the kind of operative universe, I call it, is illusory, right? It's called Maya, right? It's the illusion um, that your project as a Buddhist though, is not to sort of part the veil. It's simply to conduct yourself in this realm to the best of your ability. And that that's a very interesting thing that in Buddhism, there's not this project of seeking to transcend and even certain forms of Christianity. The project is just to kind of do your best on earth. And then the other stuff will be revealed in time. But again, in religion, I always talk about tension. Now in religion, there's always this tension between everybody knows we're in this kind of mm-hmm. earthbound operative environment and we should try to do good. But at the same time, people are dissatisfied that's our nature you know we don't like being so you know being down low so we like looking up and so there's always this sort of gnostic heretical sex in buddhism it's interesting that one of the primary symbols of buddhism is the lotus flower because the lotus grows out of the muddiest crappiest water and yet comes up all pure and clean so Mm -hmm. it's this idea that our project is to try to come up and be pure, clean, compassion, good as possible, fully realizing that we're immersed, we're rooted in this crap. But then where it leads from there is not important. For people like me, just for sake of full disclosure, I've always been a transcendentalist. I'm mm-hmm. like, I want to know what's beyond the veil. Right. Da, da, da. And it pretty much leads to a life of frustration. You know? <laughs> that's well, that's where we're having this show. So yeah,
0: so I I mean I've I I have found the entire concept of simulation theory very intriguing come as a creationist as an as an observer somebody who believes that the the universe was created by intelligent design to be clear i'm not a young earth creationist i don't believe the earth was created six thousand years ago Um, i think that I, i am a christian i do believe that the earth was created in a way that fits the biblical narrative but when i read genesis i don't go okay god you know set up the 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 alarm clock for 24 hours and then did everything and then that day was over and then he rewound the clock i think i read that as you know okay well the first day is an epic of creation and then there's another one and then another one and then these could be thousands of years these could be billions of years it's a segmentation of time um and what what i find most interesting about simulation theory is you look at all sorts of all sorts of religions not all of them even have a creation story correct Simulation theory is basically the creation story without any of the religion. (laughs) So it's, you know, this is the universe was created. Go ahead and do things like there's no, there's no objective morality. It's entirely your interpretation.
1: Right. And that's why in in the book it's funny. I started it with physics and I looked at physics of simulations. I can talk about that depending on the time, but I also did a huge chunk of, looking at it through a religious perspective, particularly Taoism, but Christianity would do just as well. And so it's funny, so I'll, let's go with the Christianity since you brought it up. And this is one, just as an aside, I'm not teaching tonight and this is not a <laughs> class, but I like referring to teaching because it's a good sort of laboratory for how these ideas work. So it's so funny, I always tell people to teach nowadays because most younger people are are not religious at all. Yeah. So you're, you're one of the exceptions. Most of my students are not religious. But what i tell students is that even in christianity which many of them reject mm-hmm. right i say you have this exact narrative not only as you said of the created world but then the narrative of jesus is really the narrative of this figure who's coming down trying to you know appeal to people's consciousness of this dissonance mm-hmm. jesus addresses this directly in the matrix the morpheus character and the neo character are both christ-like characters right where one is like john the baptist and others jesus so there's no question about that in the movie it's explicit but what do i mean by that well in the christian narrative one of the satisfying things about that is that jesus is this figure who is human right He's this guy with a beard who's a carpenter, mm-hmm. who who is among the people with people. He He's killed in the end, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole point of that is showing he's mortal, he's mortal, but he's also this totally transcendent figure. Right. So in the early Christian church, you know, this whole tension about the father and the son, whatever, it's like a friend of mine who's a minister says, all that is unimportant because what the narrative is really saying is that there's this sort of distension between the transcendent realm and the mortal realm. And so Christianity does a really nice job of saying, yes, there's tension, yes, there's separation, but here's this figure who is gonna connect the two. Mm-hmm. And he will speak in parable, in metaphor, performs a few miracles, just you know, to, to grab a few more people. The idea being that the reason he does that Is if we believe that there is this transcendent realm and we're just in this Mm -hmm. simulation, there's no way you or I or this other guy, we're going to understand that because we're like mortals with what Mm -hmm. a 90 year lifespan and we're mainly worried about eating our burritos and pizza and having a beer after the show. Right. So the whole idea of the Christian narrative is great. It's saying that I'm going to explain to you Mm -hmm. regular folks something so mind blowing. And the only way I can do that is through extended metaphor, like weird metaphor, and then to sacrifice my life Mm -hmm. just to show you this. And it's very heavy duty. I'm not Christian. I went to Christian schools. We can see by the logo here, right? Like Aiden. Um, But this was one of the great things that I was taught, you know, that this is a really tight narrative, really, you know, thorough narrative Mm -hmm. for addressing this. Whether you believe in it or not is immaterial. It's just a really, really good narrative for tackling this because that's what we're doing right we're tackling this conundrum of existence yeah so, yeah more power to you this is a I, very good way to approach it
0: i, I also I, I mean with the as you're sitting there talking about it, it's it's really it's occurring to me and I, i've thought about it in the past but the structure of a simulated existence fits within the christian and jewish framework of how existence operates that there is our realm and then there's these spiritual realms outside of it that you know if you if you read through genesis and and this is you know there's a there there's a definitely a discussion within christianity a debate but you know of of what's going on who who Mm -hmm. is involved in the creation of of our existence because you have god who says you know "Let, let us make man in our image and there's a lot of people who have said, oh, well, it's that that word Elohim can be used in the singular. Um, right. And then you, you go back and you read through it and you go, ah, I, I don't like that explanation at all. Um, so then you have, you know, another another interpretation of it is that, well, God, the most high, Adonai, Yahweh, this this figure is the creator being. But he has below him and between him and us a series of other beings that he created in some form or another. Those oh, yeah. are the, benai- the, the Elohim. And then we have the yeah. benai Elohim who are the, yeah. the sons of God in Genesis one, um, or sorry, in Genesis six. Uh, and so you've got this, th- these layers and there's also interpretations that suggest that, Oh, well, after you know, there, there came a time in human history where God divided the nations up amongst mm-hmm. the, the Elohim. Right. and put one in charge of each of the the first nations of men and that you have when you think about what that sounds like it sounds like somebody who created a game took 70 oh, yeah. people it's like a giant game of civilization if you've ever yeah. if you ever heard the game civilization sure. it's like a giant game of that and we're when we sit down to play a game of civ we're the elohim and sid yeah. myers is is god cuz he <laughs> created the whole thing um, obviously that probably sounds pretty blasphemous to a lot of people.
2: Well, would that just to just to correlate that with, with history, would the Elohim in that regard essentially be the gods and demigods of like the Roman pantheon yeah, and pantheon so and things
0: like that? Yeah. So there's there's also interpretations then that, you know, Zeus is, you know, semiaza that's so, that kind of thing yep. that there's yeah, these very biblical very well. figures these angels that appear in in the bible and in enoch and the apocryphal the deuterocanonical all of the intertestamental period works where it's like okay so you know well for even in the bible you have hamash uh, the the god of the moabites he's referenced and he seems to have power and god doesn't say hamash does not exist he says he's powerless against me right. <laughs> like so it's you you kind of as you you read through it and you look through some of the more esoteric aspects and some of the stuff that just doesn't get taught to you in sunday school you come across a much more complicated spiritual multi-dimensional world within christianity but that well, that's I think, what the gnostics yeah.
1: pick up on so what happens like it's very interesting in the second century a.d so the second century ce you have uh certain writers the gnostics who are picking up on this they're like yeah this is much more complex but that narrative eventually is pushed aside i mean you're not going to find gnostics you know on the main line somewhere no. etc but it, that's an important tradition that existed historically mm-hmm. because yeah you know, there seems to be these subsets and sub gods and and hierarchies etc and all that is kind of excised so in the spring one of the the courses that i'm teaching uh i was asked in this philosophy course to include some christian writers so i was like i don't know who should i include so i asked this friend of mine he said include irenaeus so I was like, okay and he's one of these early christian fathers and the most interesting thing about him is pretty late you know second century he's writing these long diatribes against the gnostics who are mm-hmm. still asking like the questions you're asking like hey what happened to all these other characters mm-hmm. you know what's going on and it's amazing how com- completely that is defeated is eliminated from the text um, and the textual tradition. Yeah, what did you say you're not taught that in Sunday schools like there's no way you're taught that in mm-hmm. Sunday school. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, my daughter went to Catholic school and I said, you know, ask your teachers about this and she goes, I don't think I should, but I think it's important. Um, not mm-hmm. because, like, we're going to rebel against orthodoxy, but there's something in those mm-hmm. narratives uh, that means something. You know, it's, I don't know how to decipher it. You mentioned, like, the Book of Enoch. I mean, the Book of Enoch is, is this whole sort of parallel story about what this simulation is mm-hmm. about and how it functions and how the higher beings communicate with the lower beings. It, it gets very, very weird. But wait, can I interject something here? Yeah, sure. Go for it. All right, so this is another weird idea that I encountered as I was writing the book, and it's related to what you're talking about. So it's very interesting when you started describing this, you described uh, like higher and lower, inner and outer, right, these hierarchies. Everything I read from like indigenous belief systems to Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, even science, all operates that way. So right, look at physics, what does physics say? There's reality, which is made of matter, which is made of the fundamental elements, periodic table, which are made of atoms, which are made of subatomic particles, down to the Higgs boson, quarks, quantum foam, right? Notice, Christianity releases high and the low, above, below, right? And the layers in between. Mm -hmm. You guys are with me on this, right? So in one of these sleepless nights, and when I was writing this book, I had the weirdest dreams ever. gonna <laughs> <laughs> thinking about this stuff. All of a sudden I, I realized like that idea, and I think it was also because I was teaching industrial design at the time, that idea itself is totally arbitrary. This idea that things have to be patterned like we humans pattern them, above, below, inside, outside, right? That's totally arbitrary. It's what I call like, prepositional thinking like imagine this like maybe if you've done a lot of drugs people can imagine this I haven't done that but think about this imagine where there is there are no prepositions there's not here there above mm. below in or outer because reality is so mysterious to us it might may not even be divided that way right that's so that then it gets really trippy so it's almost as if we get these narratives of the above, the below, mm-hmm. and even in, in Chinese philosophy, you know, which is more sophisticated in some ways. It's you know, shangmian, shangmian, above, below, tian you know, Shan, under heaven, and then uh, uh, connected to the earth. But imagine if all of that is just really simplified language for we stupid humans. Yeah. So imagine if there's no prepositions. Even the idea that you are person located over there. We're in Phoenixville right, and I'm here on the main line, that that's completely illusory. Mm -hmm. And and so then we get into this really deep thing because then the nature of reality may not be about going up and and finding what's up at the surface or going down and finding finding the smallest and smallest particle. Like those directional approaches may be totally misguided. And then we're into really weird territory. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. you. Yeah.
2: I was just going to say, it's right. interesting because just from what I understand of psychology, I know there's been some research into kind of what you're saying about the, the prepositional understanding of the universe from a human perspective in that like we organize our thought processes and our understanding of our environment from a tool-based perspective where it's like we, right. we look at the utility of the objects around us right. and that's how we perceive right. it. We perceive faces much faster and much more completely than other you know things in the environment around us. And, but we're limited by our physical abilities. You know, we can visually see the world around us, but the amount of the
0: electromagnetic spectrum that we
2: can see is only a small portion of what actually
0: exists. You just did a Freemasonry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The whole, the like we perceive through tools. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge, huge Freemasonic aspect, is it? Oh, really? The idea of humans perceiving existence through that which we can manipulate with our hands and using the symbolism of that, which we can manipulate with our hands to explain higher concepts. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, well that's the thing. So, <laughs>
0: that's exactly the point.
2: Well, it's funny because where I was going with that was essentially is like, maybe the higher isn't necessarily higher in terms of those prepositional phrases, but more along that's the right. lines of higher in bandwidth of what we can perceive kind of like yeah. what technology has allowed us like, we can now see X-rays, gamma rays, infrared rays because of the tools that we have mm-hmm. developed in order to be able to do as such.
0: Yeah. I also, I, I did want to circle back really quick on one one aspect of the, the conversation we had just before this one, which was, uh, I think, one of the biggest issues with religion and specifically Abrahamic religion is the use of the term gods and God. Okay. I Because it does not, the English word... God does not properly describe um, anything except the the creator being Yahweh. Uh, or if you want to go with the, in the Islamic, it would be Allah or the uh, with uh, with Hindu, the, the Brahmin, um, you know, all of these, the creative being, the one who is in charge of bringing all of this into existence. That is the only being in any religion that I think the term God in English should apply to. Because the word god in English is inextricably tied now to the Christian deity. However, obviously the term applied to different types of beings beforehand. Um, you know, you have obviously the, the gods of the Norse pantheon, for example. They are not creative beings. There's a, right. a whole creative process that happens before Odin even comes into existence. Odin yeah. then slays a giant and crafts the earth from his bones, but the universe is not brought into existence by Odin. Just right. like the universe is not brought into existence by Vishnu or Shiva. I know, I think one of them is the one, is like one of the chief deities. Um, I, I'm not as familiar with it. Um, but yeah, so, and if you look at uh, even Zoroastrianism, the, there's the the god of good, the god of light and order and all that, and there's a the god of darkness and chaos. Um The god of darkness and chaos is capable of twisting things, much like Morgoth in Lord of the Rings, but he is not capable of creation. Only one is, and that's the chief deity. So I think that a big issue in terms of understanding uh, religious perspectives on existence and the classification of divine beings is the fact that we really only have one word to describe these things. We have said there's gods and then, oh, well, if it's beneath a God, it's it's got to be part human. So it's a demigod. And then we have these this term spirits in the Bible. There's there's a lot of different terms for these things, and they're all very explicit. And instead, we just we say God and angels. And it's just not enough because there's God. And then there's these things that we call angels, which are extraordinarily varied and complicated um, and have, in some cases, free will. In some cases, they seem to be perfectly loyal. There's different roles and responsibilities amongst them. Um so just in I think, in terms of understanding the the terminology of a conversation like this, it's important to to recognize that we are limited by our vocabulary in this language.
1: Well, um, and not just the vocabulary, it's the process itself. So you've opened up a whole nother can of worms here <laughs> because we have this idea of uh, of an active creator right mm-hmm. in a lot of these religious things. And so one of the things in Judaism, and I guess in Islam, to a certain extent, too, to try to make this more accurate is they completely deanthropomorphize the Creator. Because remember, in Judaism, God, first of all, is unmentionable. You cannot state the name, right? And God is just an emanation. Mm-hmm. You know again, there's the free Masonic thing, right? the the eye with the emanation mm-hmm. on the back of the dollar bill. So, Jewish thinking is pretty sophisticated in this very early stage because it, it's saying, yes, there's a created thing. There's an entity maybe that creates it. You know, we let, use this label God. But the the Jews say, but anything mm-hmm. that could create something like this would be unknowable, unmentionable, unviewable. It must just be no more mm-hmm. than an emanation. And when you look at uh, Kabbalah, mm-hmm. it's funny when they try to describe like, viewing the creator, it's just done through these incredible metaphors, like the the bright throne and approaching and the emanations Mm -hmm. and the the light, etc. So that's one point to think about. But again, everything that everything's sort of a trick. Mm -hmm. So you go from what you're talking about, which is, yeah, there's this issue of what we call God and is it really creator? And then there are these sub creators or sub beings. And then I said, okay, let's take it further. So there's an, a, an entity that's creative. But now we get to the more difficult thing is you brought it up. It's this act of creation itself. Okay. You know, the ancient Greeks dealt with this. If there's a creator, you know, it's all the typical philosophical questions. What came, but what created the creator, right? Did the creator create this in time or was time created with this, etc.? Mm-hmm. And then what did the creator create this from? Were the materials existing and then the earth was formed and then mm. the universe was formed out of these things? So when I was writing my book, this was one of the things that I wrestled with and because I wasn't adhering to any particularly religious upbringing, I could sort of pick and choose. This was the problem that, particularly as I finished, you know, moved towards the end of the book and I was like, I gotta have an ending for this book. I got to submit it to the publisher. I was like, Wait a minute. This is, it is Aiden's questions. Like, who created this? Why was it created? How was it created? And I have my own answer, which I can reveal during the show. But I think that's a very, very important uh, problem because you have, uh, by saying that there's a creative figure or entity, that actually creates much more, many more questions than it solves, right? And I think if you're going to deal with this. And since our consciousness, again, allows us to formulate Mm -hmm. these questions, we got to tackle this, too. So we've introduced sort of yet another question into the creation simulation or not that we are Mm resident in, you know?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to if you want to give that that answer that you have to the question, we we did just hit 8 p.m. So it's time to get move into the the Q&A session. Okay. So do you want to end the, the discussion there before we move over to Q&A?
1: Sure, sure. Um, so two things. And again, this is just food for thought. No, it's not me being narcissistic. Um, in Taoism, everybody should read Taoist texts. They're easy to read. They're fun. I'm teaching Taoism this semester. I think I like it more than the students. Who cares? In Taoism, there's a famous story that that lots of people know. People listening will know. It's the butterfly story. So, in uh, a Taoist text called the Zhuangzi, there's this famous story where a guy dreams he's a butterfly, but then he thinks, well, maybe I'm the butterfly that is dreaming he's a guy, mm-hmm. right? So, you don't know which is dreaming up which. Mm-hmm. You know, is it the butterfly dreaming up a man or is it a man dream? Okay. And when I read that story, I thought, well, that's interesting because also Taoism. Never talks about a creator God. Mm -hmm. It talks about a sort of primal force, the Tao, that then creates Yin and Yang, which then differentiate and all the other stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. It's what's called the one. No, I forgot the one. Should the ten thousand things? Right? The material stuff of the universe. That's their creations. But it all goes back to that very strange story, right? Of which comes first, the dream or the dreamer, or is the dream? So I thought about that, I thought, okay, so how do we kind of modernize that or bring it into like a Christian realm or a realm of physics? And one of the ideas that kept sort of gnawing at the back of my head that, you know, other writers had kind of touched upon, there's this famous Argentine writer Borges. If you don't know him, you know, you gotta read his stuff. And he kind of tackles this. And so think about it, like we are in this really weird existence these what did you call it like these meat right this meat that we inhabit right this flesh we are incarnated in uh these strange conversations the fact that the clock is ticking and we just got a few years left uh the fact that people do stupid things the fact that uh, was you guys started the whole conversation with like you know different religions fighting each other all this stuff so you gotta ask yourself who in their right friggin mind would come up with something like this Right? Are you with me? Mm -hmm. So, when I was thinking about this question, being somewhat older and more cynical, I thought the only person that could think up something this messed up is we ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that led me to think that the real conclusion to all this is that it is us dreaming ourselves into existence. And I thought, well, that's just a crazy idea. But then, if you look at ancient Egyptian religions, their gods, how do their gods appear? The gods of the Egyptians Mm -hmm. think themselves into existence. That's the narrative. Interesting. That's really weird. So in Christianity, Judaism, you have this default. Here's God. Here's the creator. Creates the universe through an act of love, right? To have companionship, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you look at these other religious traditions, Buddhism ignores it. Taoism talks about just a primal force, a sort of autonomous thing, which is sort of unsatisfactory. But that idea of beings thinking themselves into existence, and what's the symbol of that? Again, you, you all know this. It's the Ouroboros, right? You know, the, the snake eating its tail. Mm-hmm. And I realize it's not the snake eating its tail. It's the snake sort of vomiting up itself. It's mm-hmm. creating itself as it goes round and round. And so... I really began to think that the answer to this conundrum is we've thought this up ourselves, we've thought ourselves into existence because it's the only reason things would be so messed up, so weird. And also getting back to other Aiden's point, why this is sort of so unresolvable, like this Mm -hmm. intensity of consciousness and this thing like it, it, you know, when you sort of talk about it, you always end up going like this right, this sort of circle. And so instead of getting away from that, why not accept, well, maybe it is a circle, right? And so that's, so I end the book that way. I mean, you can still read the book and and see how I do it. That to me, it seemed the only way out of this conundrum is to think that we're the creator, we thought this up, we're Mm -hmm. in our own illusion, et cetera. Plenty of other things to talk about. In other parts of the book, I talk about physics. If we end up talking about that, that's fine um you you know how we could sort of identify if we're in a computer simulation but since we've talked about philosophy and religion that is sort of where i ended up thinking but Mm -hmm. it's just one person so
3: and what's that? Uh, i feel like we could have an
0: entire episode of this about that versus the the way i view it which is that the reason that things are this messed up is is that humans have free will um and that oh, yeah know, yeah Absolutely. so it's like it's yeah, yeah. yeah but i think we have an, a whole discussion about that that would that would last an hour and a half
2: that that story also speaks to me on a on a level have an anecdote that i we should have a conversation about uh at, at another time maybe off air cool. uh, initially because there's there's some uh some things in my life that i think would uh be enlightening mutually in what you just described mm-hmm.
1: You got it. You know where to find me. Yeah. Yeah. Fellow high school grad. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's great stuff. But yeah, if you want to turn to questions, whatever, by all means. And yeah, it's uh, it's your show. And you guys, are, this is great talking to you about this stuff. So. Yeah, this Likewise. is
0: this is how I was hoping this was going to go um, yep. was that I was going to hear stuff that I had never even considered before. And that <laughs> certainly happened. Uh, that's those are usually yeah. the
2: best conversations <laughs> that's for sure uh,
0: so we we planned for the show to go to uh to go to 8 30. uh benjamin are you okay if it goes like 10 15 minutes over 20 minutes all right perfect 20, so oh, if 26 I, minutes all
1: right <laughs> so minutes.
0: if if nobody if you have a question that you haven't input yet i would i would put it through as a super chat now uh i did see some questions in the chat about um not being able to use your free super chat yet if you are a new member to the channel you get your first free super chat after your first month so if you subscribed on january 1st as a member then you will get your first free super chat february 1st and so on and so forth for the rest of your time as a member of the channel um so yeah that's uh that, that i just wanted to kind of get that away if you if you want to ask a question you're worried that we won't see it in the chat uh which given the number of super chats we got is possible um then super chat is the way to do it and uh, even even if benjamin can't um can't stay on for all of them then aiden and i at the very least will try and get to all of them so uh with that with that said you want to take us through
2: absolutely so at first off uh, at the start of the show cakes for 4.99 said can't watch this now busy wa- busy watching the lions but here's five dollars thank you cakes
0: go lions <laughs> man let's let's hope yep let's hope <laughs> indeed uh i uh, i didn't i didn't see i think i i think the ravens lost
2: uh yeah, uh yeah. did they? No, they were. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah, they yeah, were. Yeah.
0: They were behind when I looked in the at the end of the third quarter. Yep. Um, which you know it's God, we are putting all of our hope to avoid a a year of nothing but Taylor Swift Super Bowl memes <laughs> into the Detroit Lions. I yeah. See, one this world
1: help. is is unreasonable. You yeah,
0: see? exactly. Yeah, that's that's that. the glitch in the simulation is that the Lions somehow made it to the the NFC Championship this yep. year.
1: I think anyone that grows up in Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area believes that the world's a simulation because yeah. it's so messed up. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, the, the hope that we are consistently given just to have it ripped out of our mm-hmm. hands. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, uh, do you want to read this one or? Oh boy, <laughs> gong who I believe his real name is Ben Krasniak, and you should have to suffer for this, said, if we're living in... And this wasn't even... You didn't even pay for this one. (laughs) If we're living in a simulation, why don't I have a six-foot, four-inch goth dummy mommy Checkmate, commie. That was a lot of rhyming, which is the only reason I was willing to read it.
1: Uh I'll answer that question. I'm happy to answer these questions.
0: (laughs) I'm surprised you comprehended it.
1: I think I understand the gist of it. So, I'm sorry. Uh,
0: no, no. Why? Do you want me to answer that? No, yeah, please do. Go, go for it. Yeah.
1: No, because in all seriousness, I always tell people that in every crazy question, there's an element of something. Question is, really, if this is an illusion, why can't we will stuff into existence that we want? That's actually a really good mm-hmm. question. Be it some really perverse thing, right? <laughs> or less perverse. I often like think, Like my wife and I will talk about work and money. And I'll say, why can't I just will so that when I go to my first trust bank account tomorrow, there's 10,000 more dollars in it. And that's actually a serious question because, you know, I like taking crazy questions and looking Mm -hmm. at serious elements. If everything is just consciousness or illusion, then I should be able to will things into existence because there's no such thing as things. Mm -hmm. It's like being in a dream and saying What's that called when uh, you're dreaming, dreaming. right? Lucid dreaming. Yeah, that's a good question. The two answers to that, the skeptical answer is that we're not an illusion and it's a material universe. That's why you can't do it. The non-skeptical answer is that you haven't learned how to do it, that there are ways to do it. There's actually something called whoever this listener is, look up tantric Taoism. So Taoism, which, you know, in, in certain Forms like the form that, that I teach and the texts I teach, reality is an illusion. That led historically to this branch called Tantric Taoism, where they actually believed that through conscious manipulation, you could do things sexually. A big part of Tantric Taoism is about sex, mm-hmm. uh, believe that you could sort of materialize things, believe that you could make this corporeal existence immortal. These ideas are not crazy, they've been around for a long time. So, however, you might phrase them.
2: So, so, yeah for our generation understand manifesting is real and you can do it if you try hard enough
1: yeah exactly It's manifests <laughs> that's right where where thank
2: you is. yeah oh boy <laughs> incredible uh next up would be from dr candy for five dollars saying finally caught you guys live pog champ uh i'm at work listening as i put soup on the
0: shelves where do i go to order your coffee Ooh, tableau roasting company their website it is uh linked in the description Nice. And then uh, we're putting slander on Ben Krasniak
2: again because he asked for $5 again. Do you want to read that, or is it my turn? At least he paid this time. It's your uh, turn. It's my turn. Uh, he said, My lesbian wendusi bodyguard is practicing black magic to try and bring the one that the ATF shot back to life. Any advice on how to proceed? Um, no, it sounds like witchcraft, and uh, I think that's still frowned upon in the States, so <laughs> I recommend uh, I have, avoiding that situation. Where's,
0: where's my copy of ours geisha i'm summoning a demon i'm summoning a demon over there
1: you guys know what witchcraft is all about it's the same thing you know all these (laughs) traditions i mean you joke but like witchcraft and all these things are ideas that through ritual and incantation you can make stuff happen rather than physically manipulating things i mean this is like one of the oldest ideas ever how whatever perverse form of manifesting your generation may believe in you know, it's nothing to do with your generation. These are old ideas, and many of them are really weird. Yeah. Really. In fact, it's strange. We were just watching something last night about witchcraft, and my daughter said, "Like, why did people believe in witches?" I said, "Well, the whole idea is that through getting that key to the universe through the magic utterance, you can make stuff happen. It's like a voodoo where you make what's that called? You make the simulation of the thing." and damage it to damage uh, the yeah, voodoo thing. doll yeah it's a voodoo doll i mean it, it's the principle of homology i do the thing that's like this and the homologous the the analogous thing is there for damage so the weird ideas unfortunately have been around for a long time so
2: nice good uh, Moment Hoyt, for, or sorry, ten dollars said. Funny thing is, I took a college ethics class that was completely based around the Matrix simulation and simulacra, 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 simulacra. Yeah. Uh, Plato's cave, or as I like to call it, Plato's rave. Uh, love it, guys. God bless.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I feel like there's definitely has been, is, or will be a club somewhere called Plato's Rave.
0: That's what we call the downstairs party. <laughs>
1: there has to be
0: that would be great right yeah
1: oh absolutely and if not you guys should
0: start it so yeah we might have to we're we're working on trying to buy a bar right now or well we're trying to we're working on trying to convince somebody else to buy a bar for us but
2: (laughs) which sounds even way sketchy i know i
0: know
1: there's Plato's (laughs) rave t-shirts but there doesn't seem to be a
0: place called plato's grave ah, somebody oh. is missing an opportunity yeah. i wonder if we should
2: add that to our memorabilia we've got occam's sh- uh shaving we kit. do have occam's so shaving plato's kit. rave could yeah. be a fun one day to add in there. i think
1: a bar in phoenixville would be much much better so true. yeah agreed <laughs> do you guys not know uh this book simulation and simulacra no i don't know it's a cool story so i was teaching the matrix a lot of philosophy professors use that you know, use the movie and stuff it's cool it's a fun teaching tool and there's a local guy actually who wrote a book called the matrix and philosophy and it's a collection of essays It's a lot of fun anyway i was teaching this it was out in california many years ago i mean 20 some years ago and um this student of mine these were adults he was an, an older student he was like about your age and he raises his hand he goes yo you know um You ever notice in this scene where the the ravers come over to Neo's apartment and he has like the fake software that he's going to give them Mm -hmm. or the the black market software? I go, yeah, he goes, when you're showing the movie, just stop that scene, just pause it. I go, okay. so we do it and you'll see that Neo brings out this book and inside it's like a diskette, a software diskette. And if you freeze for like a millisecond, it shows the cover of the book. And the book's title is Simulation and Simulacra. Mm -hmm. And this student who's like total stoner, dude, but obviously smart guy, he says, that's a real book by this philosopher named Jean Baudrillard. So, of course, years later, I read the book, French philosopher, 1970s, I guess, Mm -hmm. wrote this book called Simulation and Simulacra. And the basic premise is so cool because he's not talking about physics or anything like that. But he's talking about how we live in a simulated world, you know, simulated politics, all this stuff. And this is before the internet, mind you. But what's cool are those two words in the title. A simulation, you know what that is, right? Like, I think one of your listeners was referring to a simulated female figure, whatever, you know, all that stuff, you know, simulated Mexican food that you guys probably got from a place, you know, that that's not really run authentically, whatever. So what Baudrillard says is that we live in a world where they're constantly simulations, right? Mm-hmm. You can get real Chinese food, fake Chinese food. You can have like real leaders or these bogus politicians, whatever. But then Baudrillard says what happens is you have a whole generation like you guys who grow up only with the copy. Mm-hmm. The example he uses is people who go to, I guess, a Disney World or Disneyland where there's like a Venice. If you mm-hmm. guys, I've never been there, right? There's I've no been
0: place. to Epcot, yeah. yeah
1: oh, so, so you go there and there's like Venice, right? And he says, so you have a generation of people who think that Venice is Disney World, is part of it, that they don't know there's a place called Venice, Italy. Mm-hmm. And so what happens, he says, eventually this copy, this simulated place with the gondola's, takes the place of the real thing. And that's what he calls a simulacra. Where the the fake gains precedence. The example I always use, if you grew up eating McDonald's burgers your whole life, you think that that's a hamburger. Mm -hmm. That ain't a hamburger. It's not even a copy of a hamburger because you don't know what the original is. You never ate a real hamburger. So you're living in a world of simulacra, which Mm -hmm. is really like beyond the pale. Interesting. And then it gets in the whole political thing. Right. Like, you know, my daughter was talking with my wife today about like, who are these candidates? Like, are these even real candidates anymore? Like, what was a real candidate? When when did we last have a real president? So, so anyway, that, that's yeah, it's a really important Teddy. book.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah it was teddy <laughs> yeah teddy, teddy the bull moose was the last one yeah. teddy yeah. i miss you we need you come back <laughs> <laughs> can we manifest teddy back into existence please you save us teddy, please teddy, save us teddy. can you save us teddy it <laughs>
0: doesn't
1: work if you're gonna manifest manifest some money into our bank accounts so yeah then. right do
2: that, so. uh elena we, de howler werewolf queen which is a phenomenal username a i must name. say uh for 199 said, haven't been so engaged in this stuff in a while. Glad uh, glad this podcast is resonating well, with thank people. You. Glad Alfarius Omegon, which is again another phenomenal username for five dollars, says fun fract. Th- fact. Uh, fa- did I say fracked? You said fract. Oh,
0: weird. We're not fracked. I'm impressed yeah. I'm not mispronouncing more words considering how the shoot went earlier. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs>
2: uh fun fact, the phrase religious extremist is a compliment, you ruthless urban parasite. That's all that's all one for eight. Uh, will get you kicked out of a quote alternative
0: church. What is an alternative church? They exist. <laughs> what does that mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, what does? Is it that that a goth church? <laughs> well, it was Aiden who said Aiden Mattis who said when you were at the meeting you said anybody who says believe in science mm-hmm. is a total contradiction. Yeah, and so it is true that I think that listers right like religious extremism It's true religion is the extreme thing of putting profound faith in something yeah, more power to it yeah religion should be extreme that's funny yeah whereas science is
0: like you can't believe science because science is a a process of understanding
1: and doubt yeah (laughs) you can believe
0: the results of the scientific process but you can't believe science
1: (laughs) that's right yeah he said that i was like you said that was spot on i just thought it was great
2: uh Barai for 4.99 says if this is a simulation or game that we live in then i demand access to my character customization panel i need a stronger spine so i can fly jets
0: <laughs> Dude if you're if your spine is the reason you can't fly jets you you have completely skipped most of the normal problems i'm impressed Yeah that's fair Hey
1: if I may interject a serious note then mm-hmm. again so here's something that, that people have thought about Why can't you again will yourself To be physically different, right? So they've done, they did a really cool experiment where they held somebody's arm out and they were hypnotized and they said, We are holding a match near your arm. You are blistering. And the person started to blister, which shows that psyche, right? Mind, abstract, immaterial, non physical can manifest physically. So there's a lot of belief now that you can will yourself better, will yourself sick absolutely so why not you know there's definitely a question of this question you know abstract immaterial stuff being uh soma is the greek word Mm -hmm. right being able to affect the soma the body so give it a try there are a million people out there who will give you exercises to do that you know the whole zen meditation thing that's what it's all about so
2: makes sense Whispering tingles for twenty dollars says the egg by Andy Weir, a very thought invoking short story.
0: I will have to look into the egg. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: that's very, that's, uh, that's very. Can I say this? Your generation?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Am I am I being ageist? No,
0: Did no, I no, no, that? not even close. We're not, not sure yeah. what our generation
2: is. It's fine. We are also ageist against our generation, so you're not alone here. All right,
1: because the the and egg, and also is all like, of the other ones. <laughs> yeah, it's a very morbid story. It's, it's a very morbid story. I think, again, it was probably my 18-year-old who told me about that. I'll but... have to read it.
0: Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, It's it's astounding. I read so much, but I have not read for pleasure in...
2: Well, you don't have time. Over a year. Yeah, you don't have time.
0: And I
1: <laughs> had that trouble while I, was, while I was a student. I never had time to read. And then yeah. one of the great things about being older, you can finally read stuff you want. So yeah.
0: I cannot wait until I am... At least yeah. semi-retired and and yeah. can start my mornings with a cup of coffee and a book instead of a cup of coffee and sitting down in front of my computer to just learn about the worst thing to ever happen to people.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the nature of the beast.
2: Uh, yeah, we really are kind of our own version of a procedural show at this point, aren't we?
1: Yeah, <laughs> it is like a detective show, is it not?
0: A little bit. It's yeah. At not- this yeah, point, no, yeah. it's very much becoming a detective show because yeah. now we're just doing Go police ahead. departments' jobs for them kind of i mean uh, we we covered one the the one that's coming out friday is like you look through everything and you're like there is there is no way this was an accidental drowning there is there is actually physically provably objectively no way this man drowned accidentally and the cops are like ah well i mean it's we didn't really try to figure out if somebody killed him but Nobody walked in and said, I killed the guy, so it must have been an accident. Like, that is the extent of their investigation. You just, you go, what? Well,
1: (laughs) everything is about, you know, desire to do stuff. You know, you and I talked about this, I think, on the last show. Like, some listener asked, you know, why does some stuff get investigated, others not, be it Mm archaeology or crime, whatever. It's all, you know, pro-QE bono. I know who benefits from doing it. And so it's it's completely random, apparently, from the outside. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's unsolved, uninvestigated. You know, some of it's pretty horrible. Others, just more academic. Yeah. yeah that doesn't surprise me.
2: Yeah, Killing the official data for $22.30. Ooh, love this specificity. I like that essay. one. Uh, is the idea of our lives being a simulation really that far off? When I see us in the next 15 to 30 years... Doing similar experiments with AI, either intentionally or by video game NPC AIs becoming self-aware inside a game set.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's the thing is like when you think about it, simulation theory doesn't feel. I mean, I think as a Christian, it's ridiculous for me to sit here and say simulation theory is ridiculous because my, my version is just a simulation theory with morals yeah like yeah right. it's just, it's just right. uh, yeah. A, a simulation with a why yeah but basically like right. m- mine has morals and a, an afterlife whereas the the average simulation theorist probably sits there and goes ah there's no real rules and once it's over it's over
2: that's another that's yeah. a sticking point i was thinking of earlier when we were in discussion there just wasn't time to interject it, it might be better yeah. to bring this up in another conversation in a longer format but i think that's an interesting contention between the two of you know I, i'm not as familiar with simulation theory's idea of the beyond, but like, you know, mm-hmm. right. with Christianity and other religions having an afterlife mm-hmm. in that form where you still are, as I understand, your conscious self, but in a soul mm-hmm. in another place. Whereas from what I understand with simulation theory, it's more of a, a perpetuation or, or I, I can't remember which specific religion it is with reincarnation. That would be um, right. Buddhism. It is Buddhism. Okay. I didn't want to misread Well, that. And I mean, I Buddhism and
0: Hinduism both have Hinduism, reincarnation. Yeah, Hinduism, yeah. yeah, yeah, Buddhism has reincarnation, right?
1: Yeah. But it, 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 it has it because it's built on top of the hindu substructure you right. know buddhism is just the teachings of the buddha mm-hmm. but just like christianity draws from pagan traditions when it comes into places like encounters the 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 celts etc mm-hmm. so too buddhism just draws all that hindu sort of typology um, gotcha that's
0: what you're saying right yep.
1: yeah it's not inherent in buddhist philosophy by any means yeah
2: so Miss Mori for $5 says, if I had a nickel for every time one of my podcasts went deep philosophical this week, I'd have two, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs>
0: which this one, was, this, this one was definitely intended to get deeply philosophical. Yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. That's why I'm here. That's why I got the, the degree in this.
2: <laughs> Love it. Uh, Norberto Rodriguez Jr. for $10 says, gamers test the game physics for how realistic it is and do bizarre things to see if there are consequences to unorthodox actions such as i.e. no reaction to basket placed on
0: npcs in skyrim (laughs) yeah i mean we do we do often test the boundaries of our our environment try to understand things i mean we've and and what sticks out to me is for thousands upon thousands of years you have stories of people you know disappearing and then reappearing hundreds of years later you have all of these little glitches you know like you start to wonder, definitely, you know, is our people it, Is this world in which we exist as concrete and solid as we seem to believe it is? Or is it possible that whether you believe that it's a computer program or that there are multiple dimensions at play here and it's possible to slip between them? We, we have a long history as a species of contemplating the idea of traveling between different dimensions and traveling through time and things like that. I mean, going back but, to but, the, the voyage of Brand is dates back to probably the seven hundreds.
1: Well, and that's yeah, and there are many, many different stories like that. Some of the more encoded in sort of mythological structure, like even Rip Van Winkle, right? That story, but it, it's interesting because you know whoever posed that that comment, it's really this it gets back to what we're talking about: consistency. That mm-hmm. what we say is real is what is consistent. So what is missing? in this experience is lack of consistency you know somebody like aiden mattis you no, know, if you listen to his show he's always looking for these marked inc- inconsistencies so you know, people who disappear mm. like who's the guy that walks behind his carriage and then vanishes um i think it's in the 19th century this is famous case like Can that about it Right, but you know, you've you looked in your show about a number of things where mm-hmm. it's just these odd disappearances and stuff, and they're not really explainable, or as you say, they disappear and they reappear somewhere else, which defies yeah. the physically consistent laws. So let me just interject here, because this was something I wanted to mention during the course of the show. So when you look at, you know, and I don't know if the audience is interested in sort of hard and fast physics, but one of the interesting things is that in physics, they're trying to take that idea really seriously and find it an in consistency. Mm-hmm. So one of them is the this famous experiment called the double slit experiment, you know, where they shoot photons, you know, through these slits. You probably did this in high school at baseball. So one of the interpretations of that is, you know, when you shoot you're just shooting single photons, you still get what's called an interference pattern, which you should only get from two sources. You know, so for years and years, people say, "Well, this is because it's like, well, it's another world, or it's the role of the observer." You know, there's all this kind of verbiage used to explain it. And I realized when I was writing the book that a much simpler explanation for something that's clearly not consistent, because you should have interference patterns only when you have two wave sources, that the real answer is there is another wave source, and it's because our reality is mediated through some like device. The thing in the book I just call it, like VR goggles. Mm-hmm. So you have somebody looking at something. So in the book, I talk about if ever you watch TV and on the TV, somebody's being interviewed and in the background are are old computer monitors, the CRT monitors, and you notice that the screen kind of ripples like this. And that's because the scanning rate of your television and the scanning rate of the computer don't match. And so you get an interference pattern. So if you were to ask me and I'm the news reporter and you said, what are those weird patterns in the computer behind mm-hmm. you? I wouldn't see anything, mm-hmm. but you do. Therefore, you could conclude that you're looking at me through a mediation, through a television.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's all that's happening in our reality. There's stuff that is going on that doesn't fit, maybe even the disappearances, whatever you choose it. Those are kind of, I won't, I don't like to use the word proofs, but they are indications that our reality is mediated, simulated, something like that. So I think there are things that are not particularly weird that would be indicative uh, of something being a mess. And this,
2: mm-hmm. we just well, we have to look for it. And then, one additional thing about the double slit experiment that or slit experiment that I'm curious uh, if you're aware of and if you have any thoughts on it was I remember I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about it somewhere, but he was referring to uh, further replications of that experiment. Uh, they realized that the frequency of the photons hitting on certain slits changed whether or not people were observing it right which right. which in and of itself is
0: interesting because at that point it's giving credence to your change point. depended on whether or not people Correct. Yeah. yeah so right. if it yeah. was being observed there was a. De- I think it sounded like you were right. saying yeah. whether yeah. or not people observed it depended on
2: no, 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 no. I'm no. yeah, sorry. It's the no, way no. you phrased it. The pattern was different, whether or not somebody was observing it, which yeah. is interesting in and of itself. Because then it's like, okay, well, what, what is the? Because clearly, the existence of a human perceiving it in some distance from it occurring has right. some form of interference that is changing Correct. the outcome, and yeah. you have to wonder. It's like, okay, well, what, what frequency of the electromagnetic spectrum is emanating from us or causing that interference and it's like you know But i'm
1: saying it could be even simpler than that because think like you guys i guess you're you're video gamers just think about if you're really close to the screen it looks one way and if you're farther from the screen it looks another way it's just a perceptual thing or i don't know if you wear like special kind of glasses when you work on the computer what are those things that block the
2: blue light oh yeah the blue light glasses yeah
1: Right. So just imagine you're wearing that all the time, that's going to affect the thing. And then if you take them off, all of a sudden stuff looks different. Mm -hmm. So it's really just that this medium, which I'm not even aware of after I've worn glasses for so long, I'm not even aware. But suddenly I realize, oh, wait, my existence is mediated. And so there's interference coming from this that's creating something on the screen that's actually not there. So it can be a very fundamental physical thing not nothing to do with consciousness or even electromagnetic radiations it's just that there's something in between me and the phenomenon that i don't realize is stuck on my head Mm -hmm. right here it is right here causing this like so yeah it's interesting how physics is just wrestled with this and wrestled with this and there are many different interpretations but i think the ultimate answer to this is going to be much simpler than we think like most things usually are so yeah it be weird but simple yeah
2: Occam shaving kit Occam shaving <laughs> kit yet again um, t-shirts yeah we, we uh, did we start doing those t-shirts yet
0: nah there's uh, we're having some issues with the website still Got it. um they should be available uh actually I can I can I can steal a uh thing up here mm-hmm. and I can go to
2: in the meantime, Melanie Mead became a new member. Thank you, and gave us one ninety nine. But I'm not seeing a question, so if you did intend to write a question, uh, feel free to just drop it in chat uh, now, and I'll keep an eye on it, see if uh, you know it, it recycles in. Uh, if you're just donating to me nice, thank you very much. But if there was a question, I'll keep an eye out, so that way I can ask it after uh, the following. Uh, Elena De Howler, Werewolf Queen for one ninety nine, says, "Book of Enoch inspired lore lodge video, please." Oh yeah, definitely. Do it, do it. I think I think it would be fun. I think we've had conversations on uh, another channel that we do with uh, a YouTuber by the name of Wendigoon. Some of us here know him as Isaiah. uh, Called the Weird Bible, where we talk about different elements of the Bible, and you know, uh, they provide Isaiah was uh, you know a bit of a scholar for uh, the Bible prior. Mm -hmm. He brings more of a history side, and then I kind of look at it from a a little bit more of a secular and, and psychological side, and just kind of we provided that kind of. A continuum for people to be able to find accessible ways to the scripture to engage with it in some level of productivity. So, like, at the worst-case scenario, you can look at it from, like, a secular perspective of, like, okay, these are really interesting stories that have some wisdom and some, you know, true you know, lessons that can be learned uh from there, or you can go all the way to the to the biblical side and really engage with your faith more. Um, but yeah, we'd like to we like to keep that interesting. So we've talked about Enoch a bit on that show. Uh was there a dedicated show about Enoch? Uh I think so. Uh, I think I feel like it exists up there.
1: You should definitely do another one because also, I mean it's so and if he ever does the Freemasonic show, there's a big connection between the book of Enoch and and Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. oh really i I mean the book of yeah and the book of enoch opens up so much it's like why was it written what does it mean you know the thing i'm always interested in when i read these things is like why are they so weird
3: Mm -hmm.
1: like people read weird stuff but you got to ask yourself like why is it so weird like the book of enoch you're reading this and obviously a very long time ago it's like why would somebody write something so weird and what's the point they're trying to make and then sort of your perspective is is there a psychological aspect and then historically like why is it not something we teach in sunday school you know to use that expression i didn't learn it at episcopal but uh no i yeah i think it's it's totally worth looking at uh not saying that it's like a conspiracy theory to keep it out of religious teaching because i think that's unproductive Mm -hmm. But on the other hand anything written by humans like that there's something there's a reason that it's there and it's worth digging into. I got really into the book of Enoch from our other conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned it, when we we're doing the lost knowledge thing, because it's all about how is it the Elohim who give knowledge to mankind and then, you know, they're punished for it. Yeah, it's filled with like you, you guys saw the movie Prometheus, right? Yeah. It's essentially that whole story. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah I mean these the bible stories are like the best science fiction and I don't mean it fictional as in made up yeah. but I mean in exploring really interesting themes really well people yeah. should respect that yeah I,
0: I do also I agree I think everybody I think everybody who's seeking to understand either Christianity or Judaism should look at the stuff that's from the intertestamental period like Enoch because yeah. it's just the stuff that you that you get through reading those things whether you're reading enoch or maccabees or or anything else along those lines that was written between between 500 B.C. and the the writing of the new testament there's so much in there that at the very least even if you don't take it as as scripture as inspired writing if you look at it purely as all right well this is just stuff that was basically written as commentary um it's still important because it tells you what people living in during that period thought how they believed right in their faith and why did they believe these things are there books that they had that we have lost you know where mm-hmm. did they get ideas from from somewhere else if so how why how does that fit in um i think the idea that those those shouldn't be read is insane whether you're you know right part of the religion or you're somebody who's simply or you're interested yeah um yeah but I, but I also, think everybody should read, you know, the 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 books of the big three religions. You got Christianity, Islam, and and Hinduism are the three biggest religions in the world. Everybody should probably have a, at the very least, a fundamental understanding of what those belief systems are, because it's simply going to help you to understand your fellow man, whether they are, you know, in in the Western world, in the Middle East, or in East Asia.
1: Well, and remember too that. Those things are all being written in the struggle, just like the three of us were talking about at the beginning of this, the struggle to understand what is the nature of our existence? Because also, I think what what happens, like, you know, other Aiden brought up this thing about consciousness. At some point, homo sapiens become very conscious of their situation just as a whole, right? Just like a little kid does. Humanity as a whole, at some point, probably about 50,000 years ago, says, whoa, I'm alive. What does Mm -hmm. this mean? And so there are all these narratives that are written that are are struggling with this so we we need to read them all and the other thing that i think that that's important is that human beings you know there's this this goes back to the other discussion we had there's this kind of meta story where human beings have this weird feeling that there's something more to life than just the fact that here we are on this planet like there was some prior civilization or there were these angelic beings and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and that and one of the things that always concerns me, and I'm not even particularly religious, is that we live in such a, a dialectically materialist world. Everything is transaction. Mm. Everything is like cause and effect, and that there's no mystery in it. Not that we are adding mystery because we're bored, but we're adding mystery because our basic situation is really mysterious. And I think the people in the old days had more cojones to say, yeah, this is mysterious. We need to ask some questions. We're going to write some narratives to kind of play these questions out, and and those are all just pushed away because the world becomes divided into purely spiritual belief system, dialectic materialist, capitalist, communist, mm-hmm. you know, ground level stuff. Whereas the Book of Enoch and things like that are are works that are sort of struggling with things, mm-hmm. and that's the place to be is questioning and struggling. So.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, I like that. Uh, Killing the official data for $2.23. Nice. Uh, said 13th Floor is a better rep film theory oh. than Matrix. Uh,
3: oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. I yeah. uh, have not seen or read either.
1: So, well, I've seen floor, The Matrix, but only the first floor. one. Yeah, 13th Floor came out, I think, almost at the same time, which made it suffer as a film. So it wasn't as popular a film. And uh, I think, though whoever this was that wrote this in, yeah, it's it's sort of better at directly addressing this idea of a simulation. One of the reasons for that listener is that it's based on a really cool science fiction novel um, whose title is Escaping Me Now. If you look up 13th floor, there was a novel that was written really early, again, like late fifties, early sixties. And then there's a German TV series called World on a Wire, like. Welt, um, Bild, i forget what it's called in german that really plays the simulation thing out really really well so it's as if you know it takes it very re- realistically like if tomorrow we found out this was the simulation what would we do how would we uh react to so absolutely worth saying totally totally
2: ryan wickup for five dollars and 64 cents nice says can we get a god
0: as a gamer t-shirt
2: as, l- as well as a God Hates the IRS shirt. Also, let's go Lions 24-7 to 7 right now.
0: Uh, thank you for reminding me I have to send an email to Bunker Branding. <laughs> My wife
1: works for the IRS. Can't have that t-shirt. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Has she considered a career shift? <laughs> Has she, she considered erasing it that. everyone's taxes? <laughs> making it so we've already paid.
1: <laughs> now, now. Again, you can will that into existence if, <laughs> if you wish, but it doesn't work god is gamer is that that's just cruel i mean again you guys are gnostics if you're thinking that god is a gamer then you are a gnostic (laughs) okay and just sign up stop pretending that you think this is new people always think they're inventing this stuff is new it's like yeah the idea that we're game pieces goes way way back it's true
3: it does it's It's true. true
2: Norberto Rodriguez Jr. for five dollars says, "If the world is a simulation, then where is the player character, or who they are, and what are they capable of?" So I guess what the does that mean? so I guess the, the the question is kind of essentially along the lines of like if it is a game, he, he's looking at it from the perspective of uh, it's a single player game where everyone yeah. else is an NPC except yeah. for the one person who's actually actively playing the game. So uh, yeah. Norberto is kind of asking, "Who is that?" How do we know yeah. who it is and what are they capable of doing
1: that's an old question i mean not old isn't bad it's a it's a deep philosophical question a really old question so one of the conjectures is you nuberto mm-hmm. are, are are the player we're all you know uh, creations of the simulation and that's it the other is that we are all can I use this word? Is this dorky? Like we're all avatars and we're there's a player behind each of us. Mm-hmm. So we're there, I don't do video games at all. So we're each then interacting with each other, or that everything are just simulations, including him. Mm-hmm. He just it was programmed to feel that he has some consciousness which he doesn't really have, et cetera. And and again, this gets back to you know, a serious point, I think, is how do we substantiate this? Like, how does he prove that he's the dreamer and we're the dream? Mm-hmm. Right, and so the short answer is, right now we don't know, mm-hmm. right? We don't, we don't know. You know, he should do some tests. Let's scroll back up. That's why bit. in the book I mentioned tests. You know, yeah. he should do some tests. Try to push the envelope. You no, know, delete Aiden's character and, and see what <laughs> happens. So. Alt
0: F four. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I like that question, um and I think it really depends on you know your which which belief system you subscribe to, because if you're yeah i i mean if you're a uh gnostic then you're probably going to take a a more a position more that you are a a cog in the machine and there is a player character above you um if you're a christian then you're probably going to take it as i'm the player character we're all player characters and you know the 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 angels and the the angels are like mods and god is the developer um you know there's if we're putting it into video game terms i think it really depends on your belief system i personally would argue that you know it's you know, we're looking at it essentially that you know god is the the developer of the game and then the angels and the the, the elohim beneath him are you know maybe the god i don't know like the the, the pr team the dev team that supports him and then you've got yeah. us and we're the people who are actually playing the game um so it, it really depends yeah, it, on what your belief system is i i right. i come from that belief system that you know god created the whole thing but all of us have agency we all have free will and we're we're running around just trying to do our best to to win in a game with rules that are essentially be a good person until you die <laughs>
1: well and also that i mean again we, we could like shift the discussion to a much more religious thing so wait let me just mention so the, the correct term, I'd look this up is solipsism. You know, the belief that you are the, the only player and then everything else is like your creation and manipulation. So if, if the, the listener, was in Noberto? Yes. So if, if if he felt that you know, that's possible, that's called solipsism, if you want to look it up. What Aiden is talking about brings up a whole nother interesting issue, which is that then, it, you know, it's not so cruel, which I like, because I'm a sympathetic person, that the creator creates us with a sense of agency but then you could have a whole program on what that means because it, you know again I think there's another thing that people really don't understand is what the Adam and Eve story is all about so the idea is that when Adam is created Adam is does not really have a sense of agency and so it's almost as if you we wanted to do this terrible thing of God as a gamer god would not be satisfied with that not just because it would be no fun, mm-hmm. but it's like I was explaining it to a student the other day. It's also, you can't have the concept of love like that. Like the whole idea that God creates something outside of him or itself is because that's the only way love is possible to create something external to oneself. So that's the first thing. Like I create a baby and you know, the baby's going to love me. No worries. But the real test is to give that baby a consciousness and sense of agency and see if they come back and acknowledge me you guys are grown up and i assume you still have your parents around you know i hope so if you go to them like tomorrow their house and say you know mom dad i still love you they'll be blown away by that way more than when you were really little hugging Mm -hmm. them because now they know you're conscious agents with choice etc and so in the biblical narrative it's the same thing god not only wants to create adam give Adam consciousness, then give Adam Eve, so Adam's attentions are diverted away to this woman, mm-hmm. and then still see whether they return to God or not. The entire history of humanity is this game of seeing, will human beings not just be good, mm-hmm. as you said, true? but will human beings turn back to their creator and say, we love you? Mm-hmm. If you read the New Testament, I mean, it's just the story of Jesus coming down and saying, I think you forgot the rules of the game the mm-hmm. rules of the game or the parameters of the game i should say were to see if you will do that and you know it's it's a parent-child relationship throughout the entire biblical mm-hmm. narrative and it's a question of you, you know do we do that or do we kind of go off the grid and just be some selfish and et cetera et cetera it's weird by the way one, one of the things i didn't mention during this whole discussion You guys should look up this guy, Donald Hoffman. I think he's Mm -hmm. at uh, University of Southern California. He's an experimental psychologist. He does all this stuff. And when he's interviewed on YouTube, man, he talks about religion like heavy duty Mm -hmm. because his whole research into consciousness and and meaning of life really went in the direction that Aiden's talking about. You know, whether Mm -hmm. you believe it or not, it's just interesting to see. So this is in the it's in the zeitgeist for sure. I'm not sure where I stand on that, you know. The religious thing I, I love for what it is, and then I do the science thing. But yeah, there's there's overlap. So mm-hmm. that's that's God the gamer's idea. If you believe he's a gamer, then most of us have totally forgotten what <laughs> what the blaze is. The game is that yeah. that'll stay for sure.
0: So. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a very good point when you look at the the biblical narrative of why we were created. It is it is not to. A, a, a lot of people have have it mixed up and think that like Milton uh, Milton was was the Bible. And that we were created as a a part of a bet between Satan and and God and all that. And it's like, no, it's if you look at it, God's pretty, pretty direct. He's like, ah, well, we've created all of this and now it's time to create uh, some people to run it. They need free will. I would like them to be uh, on, you know, able to converse with me. I would like to be active and a participant in their lives. And also because they have free will and I'm not going to give them the knowledge of good and evil immediately. Uh, I must also make sure they have a way to ascertain the knowledge of good and evil if they so choose, but tell them that they probably shouldn't. And here we are. <laughs>
1: All <right>. And anybody <laughs> and now, I have had to go tri- pay taxes. <laughs> Stop worrying about your taxes. Anybody I'm very worried about my taxes? <laughs> anybody who has had children would understand this process, unless you're a total psychopath mm-hmm. or sociopath. Because when you have a kid, that's the exact pattern of having a kid. You have a kid, you want them to have their own will, their own education, their own desires, et cetera. But also, you want them to constantly reflect back, and and, and look at you not in a narcissistic way, mm-hmm. but in a way like a relationship. Like I created this, but now you've created yourself, et cetera. So it should, ironically, you know, it should be a no-brainer, but it, it's not. It's very difficult for people. Um, and that that's one of the things that puzzles me so much. Like I can understand people who haven't had kids yet because you haven't really loved something so external to yourself and yet so close to you. But once you have kids, it's like, come on, man, you gotta get it. But obviously, it's meaningless because most people still don't get it. it's just not mm-hmm. happening. So yeah, I mean, you could have you could have a whole show just creation, so yeah, think about that for for sure. so
2: it's yeah, absolutely party like it's 1776 for five dollars says as as a detroiter i'm proud to say that we are currently winning 24 to 7 detroit all the way congrats what time did the game
0: start uh seven i think
1: wait why are we cheering for detroit just because we hate baltimore
0: no detroit's playing uh san francisco okay we were cheering for baltimore earlier yeah Uh, We want Detroit because we we want a story that isn't the 49ers who play extremely dirty football and oh, complain my. every single time they oh, lose yeah. that it was okay. unfair.
2: On a uh, we is. don't want
0: them in the Super Bowl and we also don't want the camera to pan to Taylor Swift every single time something happens. uh you know so we're hoping that the Lions can can make the Chiefs very sad as well. Okay. Yep.
2: Also yeah, it's our- because Detroit really hasn't had a yeah. lot of success in their oh, entire we the history yeah, yeah they're they're yeah. the
0: underdog. as a philadelphian you know that yeah we we yeah. had this same story six years ago so <laughs> like yeah. i'm i'm sitting here i'm like you know what they they deserve it they deserve yeah. it they should get it yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> i was telling somebody that people don't understand like why would we support the underdog is like because we are the underdog <laughs> 99% of the time it's it's very funny yeah i know i totally get that that's good. you got people you got listeners from detroit that's great yeah
0: oh we it's it's actually been really cool to watch we uh we can see the breakdown of where everyone's from and we've kind of watched it go from like 95 percent united states and then the other remaining five was canada britain australia germany for some reason um which i think is cool i'm not complaining i was just like weird that the fourth is germany yeah um but, uh, yeah, so it started off there, and, and now we're, I think we're into the 60% we're 60-some we're, percent of our viewers are American, and everybody, the remaining 30-some are from other countries, which yeah, is just wild. I think there have been some no, people from, like,
2: rude. Croatia and stuff. Yeah, we get a good.
0: lot, a lot of Europe, yeah. a lot of Eastern Eastern Europe people who, I guess, you know, speak English and, uh, and oh, appreciate yeah, American yeah. media, but, you know, don't you know, obviously are from another part of the country.
1: Among young people, In certain places in Europe, Eastern Europe in particular, Portugal, Scandinavia, Mm -hmm. Iceland is really high, and so they consume American media like it's going out of style. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I found I do a lot of music, and most of my music has sold overseas, like a Mm. tremendous number of songs and EPs I've sold Mm -hmm. overseas. No way. Nice. Yeah, Venezuela, like weird places, Venezuela, Israel, Italy. It's just very random. So that's that's cool. Yeah, it's absolutely. a good thing about the internet. Yeah, a good thing.
2: A little yeah. good thing. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm from going There's
0: good and bad. Uh, <laughs> to find, yeah. Okay. So it has gone up in the last 28 days. That we're, um, primarily it, it's now up to 73% US. But yeah, five percent from Canada, five percent from the UK, almost three from Australia, 1.4 from Germany. It's just you know, there's it's really cool to see the breakdown and you know like, it, it's not like all English speaking countries. In the top, the top ten, it's you know yeah. we've got Germany, Poland, Sweden, South Africa, Brazil. I see Ireland in there. Ireland's in there, yeah. It's are cool. you Irish? I am, yeah. Well,
2: it's it's. I just did an ancestry thing. Is like I knew I was Irish, but it's funny because there's a, a number of German names in my family, and there's there's definitely a decent amount of German heritage. But for whatever reason, and I guess it's just you know who lived in PA at that right. time. Uh, but almost all of the. German men and their lineages married Irish women in yeah, like two sides of my family. How uh,
0: is. German and Irish. Yeah.
2: I mean, my dad's grandparents were off the boat Irish, and uh, you know, the, there's some heavy Irish in there, but there's also a surprising mm-hmm. amount of English. Uh so that was that was cool to say But yeah, mostly yeah, yeah, yeah. Irish, English, and German. Actually, all mm-hmm. Irish, English and German. Mm-hmm. Uh, I
1: was telling someone the other day I'm Russian and Ukrainian mixed, so mm-hmm. I, I constantly Ooh. feel like indigestion yes. <laughs> oh, wait,
0: I, I love telling this story because i was at camp one year and there was another camp there that was like a, a a exchange camp of some sort but we could not for the life of us figure out where these people were from the language sounded completely unfamiliar to us uh and at first we we thought it was maybe like brazilian portuguese uh but finally we decided to go over and sit and you know be say hi and be like hey where are you guys from and it turned out that uh the the group was from russia and the one guy goes you know oh we are we are all from russia and then one guy you know starts stands up and starts yelling something we obvious it sounds russian to us but we don't know uh and the the guy we're talking to sergey goes oh and he is ukrainian (laughs) And And, uh, and, you you, you need to understand what year this was (laughs) uh i believe this was summer of 2015 Ah, so So, so the worst thing anyone could possibly say at that moment was something along the lines of, I don't know, uh, oh, that must be really awkward for you guys because of, like, you know, the war. <laughs> and then we all turn to Noel. And we go... <laughs> no why would you say those words i know just like <laughs> and she's like i don't know it. i didn't know what else to say we were like anything but that <laughs> specifically you you could have said terrible. any words but those ones and it would have been a better scenario than what we're because at that moment i mean it just erupted into like people are almost like fist fighting yeah terrible she terrible. wanted to stir the pot it seems whether she knew it or not well she was <laughs> from boston uh um fair. yeah
2: uh, next one we have is from Fluttershy Fury for $20. Thank you. Uh, sorry, off topic, but wondering if the lore of the Superstition Mountains, missing and murdered people, the Lost Dutchman and the Native American Curse, uh, would be an episode
0: consideration. Thanks and love the show. That does sound good. Superstition Mountains is one that's come up a lot what recently, is so...
2: Is
1: that, um, is that a place? Is it a... Thing? Yes. Okay.
0: Ooh. never heard of this. Do you want to you give a quick... Overview. I don't know anything about it.
2: Okay, got it. So, yeah, that's one of those things that, that I
0: just that I just in. don't know. So yeah, just put that in there. Um, Phoenix. put put it into the content sheet, and we'll. It's Phoenix. not anything. Just 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 say. type in superstition mountains in the content sheet. Just uh, just do that. I've never heard of it. Just don't worry about it. And it's not typing. Oh wait, is it?
1: I've never heard of these now things.
0: Weird. Yeah, a lot of it's that kind of niche, like weird stuff that's happened oh, kind of vibe yeah. arizona uh,
2: uh pablo raul uh Pierria?
0: gifted uh pablo raul pereira, uh, pereira? yes uh, pereira? pereira pereira yeah uh oh, thank, you a membership. A membership.
2: So thank you uh cam boone remember it for eight months thank you. thank you uh says late to the show tonight but glad to be here anyways keep it up fellas stoked for the new weird bible
0: thank it's you. coming it's uh it's about samson yeah this one's about the story of samson yeah, yeah. It should be fun. You you get to watch all three of us just lose it for a solid five minutes <laughs> over over the phrase "Who hath done this?" So get ready for that. Yeah, um, it'll be a fun one. Uh,
2: Doctor Candy for five dollars says thoughts about physicalism versus dualism for you all. Would you think oh, it, uh, Would you think it would be accurate to say our personalities are just
0: programming if it is phys- uh, physicalism? I'm not sure I understand the terminology. Yeah, it seems you do.
1: Yeah, of course I do. I got to teach this stuff. So, and there was actually a great BBC podcast about this just the other day. So, dualism is this idea that we have a physical aspect and then we have a mind, which is abstract, right? Mm -hmm. And so, how can the mind sort of reside in
0: this physical thing? Okay, so sort of what like Avicenna was talking about.
1: Yeah, more or less, you know, it's, again, these are old, old questions. But, yeah, you know, the example I always use is a very simple one, because when I was your age, I was deeply in love with this woman, and it was a disastrous relationship. And I literally worried myself sick, and I had mm-hmm. terrible ulcers, which shows that your psyche can affect your soma. Yeah, Purely physicalism is basically saying that we're just machines, mm-hmm. right? And when I am in love or happy, it's just a certain balance of chemicals that create these certain reactions that manifest in a certain way. And that's it. Um, That we are just literally no more than machines following progress. Mm -hmm. And this has been unresolved. It's been debated for hundreds of years. Still is not resolved. I should say for the sake of listeners question that I think that now science leans towards a very heavy physicalist model Mm -hmm. because most young people, unfortunately, a lot of young people deal with depression and anxiety The primary treatment mode is medication. Mm -hmm. And you do that because you believe that this is a mechanical process in the body. Whether it is and it is not is totally that. I'm not a medical expert. All I'm saying Mm -hmm. is that seems to be the dominant belief system now, whether it's going to be proven correct Mm -hmm. or not, is up for grab so it's a really really interesting question
0: yeah really I would boring. definitely personally fall more on the dualist side of that then now that I, I understand the ter- understand the terminology being used yeah. i I don't have necessarily a good concise explanation for why it just when when I think about the world and the the interactions I've had with other human beings versus the interactions I've had with animals i uh, to or me thing. there's yeah there's a distinct difference when you're dealing with another another person another being with sentience than when you're dealing with an animal i can predict exactly how my dog is going to behave at all times um what i can't do is predict exactly how aiden's going to behave at all times even though i've known yeah. him for over a decade so it's it, it like I, I think that there's there's something that i cannot adequately describe sitting here right now that maybe if i sat down with a a notepad and a few hours and and thought about it i could i could explain but to me it's there's got to be something something going on spiritually that are we're not just a product of our our chemistry in my opinion yeah. And if
1: if you're religious you pretty much will believe in in the narrative of a physical creation imbued with spirit and i should say there's a third Mm -hmm. option too which is that everything is spirit and yeah. the physicality is illusory, so there's that option too, which is that even if you're religious, you could say God created the illusion of physicality, but we're pure mm-hmm. spirit, and that's what we will return to eventually. So yeah, yeah anybody who is religious can't be a mechanist, can't be yeah. materialist. That that would just be strange.
3: No, very, very wouldn't strength. make sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, I but, don't know where I land because there have been a number of different experiences and instances in my life that could literally lead me down all three of those options. And it's just a matter of essentially, I guess, moving forward and deciphering which one is the most likely in my perspective. But
0: I think the fact I I, I guess maybe one way to put it is I think the fact that we have the ability to understand what is the most expedient thing for us. What is the the thing that is arguably best for us individually and choose not to do it because it might be bad for somebody else, somebody that we care about or even somebody that we don't care about, you know. I try not to buy items that were made in China because I know that people who make those items are often suffering in near slave conditions. Um, so I try to buy stuff that's made in in America if possible. Um, you know, it's it's stuff like that that I'm like, the cheaper option is for me to buy the the Chinese stuff, you know, it's it's probably gonna function just fine, but it was made unethically. So the fact that I have the ability to think through that and to make decisions that go against what is I, uh, what my body needs biologically what what would make the most sense from an evolutionary perspective i think suggests that there is more to us than our physical existence right yeah so and again
1: that's a unpopular view yeah but yeah i would i would agree of course but i i just yeah i i guess i i am very dogmatic about this cuz the 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 adherence to materialism and, and belief in mechanistic interpretations of things in our society is like really profound. It's it's shocking how profound, particularly, and I'm going to be ages, young people should be the most opposite of this. And yet they're often the ones who are most secular, mechanist, materialist, dialectic, you know, believers, which scares the, the hell out of me. <laughs> well,
2: I think the issue there is that it makes sense having grown up in the information and technology era you know when you're when you're growing up surrounded by it and surrounded by reasons to believe that this this is what it is and you know science right. like you said earlier science leans mostly towards the the physicalism mm-hmm. uh you know when, when it is kind of you know uh, to borrow your phrase from earlier in the night when it's in the zeitgeist you know yeah. it's, it's hard to escape that so i think that Absolutely. might be part of it is it's it's whether intentionally or not, it's ingrained into our perception of the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, who knows, who knows how much or if that will change as, as new generations arise. Uh, yeah. The next one is from Miss Mori for $5 saying heard an interesting theory that the future is easy. So they raise their kids in the past where it's easier to learn to appreciate what we will have.
0: I know oh that. God. So I know that theoretically time travel That's to the cool. future is possible but there shouldn't be a physical there shouldn't be a weighted time travel to the past right i feel like this is more metaphorical y- yeah it is but you yeah it, i mean if I, I could understand like if you were going from like a they have incubation chambers where your body is given everything it needs while you experience a life through an ai in the past yeah. Like that, I can see. But well, I mean,
2: yeah, you're correct off your supposition based on the theory of relativity, giving yeah. the idea that, like, you can accelerate yourself to near the light future. speeds. And then, so that way, your perception of time slows because of the, you know, as we believe now, the ultimate speed limit of the universe being uh, light speed. So, you know, you can only go to that speed at any given vector. So, if you start going in that way, one direction, the processes in your body must slow down to accommodate. Therefore, you exist in this kind of like weird limbo. But mm-hmm. once you come back to a more standard rate of, you know, existence like we are, then your body will have aged at a much slower rate than everything but around you. it's not your you.
1: biological processes. It's time itself in your existence. Your body remains exactly the same and you feel that you're experiencing time normally. Yeah. But when you come back, it's the twin paradox. You come back, less time has elapsed. But it has nothing to do with actual physicality. It's the time itself for the traveling astronaut is shorter, is shorter. So, yeah, and that's the sort of typical travel in the future because you come back and this Aiden is aged 50 years. You've only aged a year, right? That's the idea. But -hmm. travel to the past is also possible if the listener is talking about like real-time travel, travel to the past is possible, just not through special relativity, through other methods so interesting another program
2: <laughs> fair <laughs> enough yeah we, it
1: seems fair like we have a lot of time travel,
0: travel. <laughs> uh for... on like once a month at this point <laughs> yeah right uh
2: norbert rodriguez jr is back again for two dollars saying i ask these questions because i lucid dream a lot ah, ah there you go i don't know do there it. you go uh party like 17.76 for 11.76 dollars 76 love it says uh to hell with taylor detroit will bring slim shady to the super bowl <laughs> Also, it's 2024 and still January. This year is going to be even crazier than last. You welcome to another election year.
0: Blank. Oh, right. (laughs) It is an election year. Yeah.
2: Can't wait for the commercials, huh?
0: Oh, it's... I'm just looking forward to the debates. But more importantly, the drinking game story. I was going to say that. (laughs) The popcorn and everything, yeah oh boy uh we, we we're living in oh a miss harry said simulation of the past so yes, a yes
1: simulation past. Yeah, yeah. okay right.
0: yeah. well that is thankfully the last one yes and i don't say thankfully because i don't enjoy doing this show i say thankfully because i slept four hours last night uh- <laughs> boy
2: put in oh. a lot of work for today's filming
0: yeah i was i was researching yeah. until 2 a.m and then couldn't fall asleep because i drank so much coffee to stay awake until 2 a.m um, but yes, so I, uh, you know, Benjamin, thank you so much for, for coming on tonight. Do you want to tell everybody about uh, the title of your book and you know why why they should buy it?
1: You don't have to buy it, but try to buy it. Uh, why should you buy it? Because I have college tuition to pay. That's why you should buy it. That's um, so the book is called <laughs> Deciphering Reality. And uh, you should look it up. And there are excerpts actually you can read for free online, I believe. And as I say, the, the thing that uh, I, I like about the book is that it's not written in a lot of academic jargon. And it talks about art, it talks about Taoism, it talks about physics, it talks about philosophy. So it's a very fun combination of things, because I like writing books that I myself would want to read. And I had to read a lot of academic books as I was going through school. And this is kind of a break from that. So check it out. And uh, hopefully we'll talk about this stuff again. And uh If you send questions to our hosts subsequent to the show, happy to answer them yeah i can always That's uh I answer. can
0: always shoot them along if uh, if they come Absolutely. up i did I did see one in there, which uh obviously you being you being a a professor, you might have a an answer to that might be different than mine, but I'm curious uh who said, hey, Aiden, as a historian, are you able to write papers on Native american history slash folklore or is that a no no since it isn't your area of study which i'm I'm curious you as having worked in the field and and we can right. end just after this but this is kind of more for my interest than anything else and also to answer the question but
3: have you totally ever have like an
0: written yeah. written something outside of your direct area of study and been nailed for it? life it's my yeah. whole
1: life uh so i'll answer that question before i answer just i want to thank you guys both of absolutely and again make sure you get a screenshot for our yeah. <laughs> oh the whole absolutely thing i mean special. is recorded That's so true. you can go through
0: and pick your favorite true one nexus. yeah okay
1: But I want to thank you guys very much to the audience. You guys are great hosts. Um, So it's very interesting. And actually, I brought this up in another podcast I did. So I have a weird career in that I studied one thing, but ended up writing in many different things. So Mm -hmm. I've written about Taoism. I've written about art. I've been interviewed on design. Mm -hmm. All this always outside my field. So I'll try to make this story brief. But um, the other book that Aiden interviewed me about was called Lost Knowledge. This is about archaeology, ancient mm-hmm. history. And in writing that book, I had to deal with stuff that was way outside my typical training of like history and philosophy. So, for example, I translated these Chinese texts that talked about flying machines, all that mm-hmm. kind of weird stuff. And I was very nervous that what did you say? I was nervous that somebody would nail me on this. Yeah. So I actually sent the material To someone else I know, a famous professor actually at Penn. And I wrote to him, I said, Nathan, you know, is this stuff cut it? Like, is this up to standard? Because I don't want to be, if I can mention his name, like Graham Hancock, Mm -hmm. or I'm just spinning stuff. I want to be a pro, right? And so he sends it back. He goes, this stuff, it's good. You know, you've done good translations, et cetera. Then the book is published. Mm -hmm. And I actually just recently got a review from a guy in China at one of the top universities He says, I love the book. This is really good. You deal with the Chinese text well and everything. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's freaking amazing because I'm not a sinologist, Mm -hmm. not a China expert. But if you're going to work outside your field, you work your damnedest and you want to buy an expert. And what I hate is people just trying to wing it. Like, so you should work out of your field. You should write on indigenous beliefs or Native American stuff, but read everything else Mm -hmm. and make sure you're a pro. And it is tough tough job but it's how you should yeah. do it like I, I always tell people i play soccer i never played soccer and i so i go out there and i play with guys who are really good i watch them i learn from them so that i can play uh sort of close to their standard but it's hard and you gotta you know force yourself don't yeah. get lazy there's a lot of lazy work out there yeah a lot of lazy work
0: so that's that's very similar to my opinion on it is i i studied history history is a methodology I studied specifically one kind, that doesn't mean I can't take the skills I learned and apply yeah. it somewhere else. Because Absolutely. at the end of the day, it's if you're a historicist, you're doing historicism no matter what kind of history you're doing what you're studying, you're still looking at it through the same lens. So same
1: methods, yeah.
0: yeah. Um just also be rigorous. There's one little
2: uh HipRai for two dollars says for the Discord. With the Catholics.
0: oh boy i'm scared to check the discord after this episode <laughs> well benjamin thank you so so much and please tell everybody at the lodge i am sorry i will be there in february um be there in march Coming i will be there in march off. too but i will be there in february uh right. for for both cool. the uh the you know the the actual stated meeting and the fun let's sit around and talk about the yeah the chat the outside of their the out the out of the box stuff meetings so i'm excited about those actually i can't wait but um thank you so much
1: thank you guys both other aiden you wanted to send me a question email me uh aiden mattis has my email so by all means email me and then also write something up to send to the episcopal magazine yeah Um, that'd be
3: great yeah that'd be fun for you guys that'd
1: be cool uh Uh, thank you guys again very much really appreciate that so Absolutely. Thank you for thank having you. me on. So thank you, Benjamin.
3: Peace, All right. Peace. Peace. Bye, everybody.